This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. Content listeners, and welcome again to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast presented by Consequence of Sound. We're all in kind of a weird mood today. That music you just heard, of course, is by the the great and now the late great Tom Petty and his Heartbreakers. Um, even the Losers will be talking about that song and obviously the artist behind it a little bit later on. We're going to try to keep things as light as we possibly can, obviously, and things will, don't worry, things will inevitably go off the rails. We will not be this reserved <laughs> yeah. for very long, we assure you. And we're actually going to kick things off right away with a segment we like to call uh, Needful Tweets. Well, you know what? I'm jumping the gun. My name's Justin Gerber. <laughs> Keep this all in there. My name's Justin Gerber. I'm a senior uh, writer at Consequence of Sound. And to my left is... Mel Castle, uh, client care coordinator and doctor's assistant at an animal <laughs> hospital. Um, Stephen King fan, loser. That's and that's pretty much it. And our go-to resource... If we ever find ourselves in Pet Cemetery, mm-hmm. Cujo, and I'm trying to think of other books that might involve uh, dangerous animals. Well, know. there's oh, a big and Gerald's game. That's right. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, d- I would have been a huge help. As a yeah. matter of fact, <laughs> Mel, what would you do in that case if if a dog had been surviving on human flesh for a period of time? What would you recommend you do with that dog if you're the dog's owner? Like, like. You rediscover your dog, and it's been eating. Like, yeah, you're like, oh, what do we do with this dog now? Are you You able to? I don't. I don't think that they develop, quote unquote, a taste. Okay. I don't. I don't think they do. But we're missing one member of the (laughs) the podcast (laughs) across. That's true. Oh yes, yes. uh, This is uh, Michael Rothman. I'm editor in chief of Consequence of Sound, and uh, hey, I'm here because I want to talk about Gerald's game, which we're going to uh, talk about later on. And uh, I think we're going to extrapolate a little bit more on the uh, the venomous dog. Um, I don't know if it's venomous so much as just uh, (laughs) poisonous. It's it's dangerous. (laughs) Carnivorous dog. (laughs) I think is more like it. But uh, uh, we got a lot to talk about today. That's right, Mike. In addition to all the great tweets and obviously the Stephen King news we cover every other week. We're going to be doing a couple more things. We're going to be talking about Sleeping Beauties. That's right, the book he just got, King just put out there with his uh, son, Owen. I read it in 10 days, 700 pages. So look forward to that brief review. And after that, we're going to go pretty long on the Gerald's Game adaptation that finally came out. It's on Netflix. It's available for everybody. The new Mike Flanagan film starring Carla Cugino and Bruce Greenwood and little Elliot himself, Henry Thomas from (laughs) E.T., Love Elliot. And then after that's done, please stick around because loser Randall Colburn was able to get a little interview with Mike Flanagan, again, the director of Netflix's Gerald's Game. 
Also, of course, Randall's favorite film, Ouija: Origin of Evil. <laughs> yep. I have not heard the interview yet, so I'm looking yeah, forward. Does he to ask I hope him he about goes that? long about Ouija: Is, it, Origin is the of interview Evil. actually about Ouija: Origin? Yeah, of Evil? I think he actually just that's totally opportunity to throw us under the bus. I'd be like, I'm, I'm the only person you're going to talk to from here on out. Yeah, that's that's what he probably. He's said like, to he's him. like, hey, I just want to let you know, don't listen to those fucking losers, and I don't mean that. <laughs> As, as, a, as a call sign to the, the, the namesake. I mean, they are fucking losers. They are losers. I am you the true... You can take off the, the quotation marks. These guys are a bunch of jerks. Like, I'm, the, I'm the true fan again. And also... <laughs> and it throws Mel under the bus, you know, yeah. oh, how much Mel God. hates. We'll, we'll talk about that a little later on. But um, <laughs> we're going to discuss it in a second here, I'm sure. So let's get started with some uh, needful tweets. Not a human being. No! Don't you see what he's done? We kill them all. Get God sort them out. I don't know if you remember, constant listeners, but we agreed not to talk about Donald Trump, mm-hmm. when, or especially especially in this segment for uh, needful tweets, which means. Uh, we're out of uh, tweets this uh, this, <laughs> this, uh, this week's episode, um, but well, we do have one, and um, it uh, happened yesterday on October 2nd, and King tweeted, Tom Petty gone? That's just so wrong. What a bad day this has been in so many ways. And I think that's going to really kind of allow us to talk about <laughs> Tom Petty as a whole. I mean, and, mm. as Justin mentioned, we you do hear his uh, famous song, Even Losers, um, at the end, in the beginning of our uh, podcasts. Every episode. Every episode. Uh, and um, and it, it, feel, it would feel wrong if we weren't able to talk about him. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I know for me, just growing up in Florida, it, he always meant a lot to me. And I mean, you, Mel, you're from Gainesville also, and, um, and and you grew up in Florida also. Justin. Yeah, I did. So, I, mean, yeah. I think we all are. Well, a bunch of Florida yeah, kids. Well, a bunch of Florida boys and girls here. Uh, you know, and I think we can kind of relate to Tom Petty's music. Uh, I think that's there's something about the you know the sun drenched sounds that, that kind of spoke to me at least growing up and. Um, I don't know. It was, it was definitely it was a weird day um, for sure, especially not only just with the Tom Petty news, but with whatever with everything that just happened in Las Vegas. Also, it was just kind of a just an odd time to be alive in, uh, in America right now <laughs> in, in the, the world, world for that the world for for that matter. Yeah, um, I mean, because I had some friends and f- uh, family in town, and so we had our phones off most of the time. But every time we would turn on our phone, it would be <laughs> something awful has happened either in Vegas or then later on the day we turn on our phone again. Being texts and news alerts that you know Tom Petty's passed away, and it's very surreal time. Like I was telling you earlier, Mike, I it still hasn't really hit me that Tom Petty's gone yet because mm-hmm. I mean, we've lost some other people we've really admired recently, but they were they were a little bit older, and maybe they didn't seem to be in the best shape to begin with. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't as shocking. It might have been sad, but it wasn't as shocking. He was sixty six, right? Sixty six, yeah. yeah. And he, which. Mike, you should talk about a little bit more about this, but like my earliest memory of Tom Petty is the um, "Don't Come Around Here No More" video, which is the Alice in Wonderland video. Video freaked me out as a kid, so I always, even now, it's hard for me not to picture Tom Petty as anything but the Mad Hatter with the sunglasses <laughs> and like the giant hat, and you know, carving up Alice as as actual cake at the very end. And, I don't know. That, that, those are the things that stick with me today, at least, when that's I think so about funny. Tom Petty. I, that, that's how old I am, by the way. <laughs> I helped him write Even the Losers. Oh, wow. Yeah, I grew up only knowing the album Into the Great Wide Open, and that was right. what my parents played constantly. And so when I heard 
refugee for the first time, I was like, oh, he can rock, too. Oh. Um, so that's funny that you had this image of him as this spooky, surreal Mad Hatter. And I was like, oh, he's just this kind of, like, folksy. Laid back. Yeah. <laughs> Solo guy. <laughs> well, my, I, I grew up in a household that had, uh, that, that worshipped cars. Um, at the least cars? My, at the least band? my dad. No, not the cars, but uh, oh. the actual, well, and I guess they did, you know, the band also. But uh, my dad really loved uh, muscle cars. And so I would drive with him um, in his Corvette or Z listening to rock and roll a lot growing up. And Tom Petty was definitely one of the big ones. Um, and so I grew up with like all his old hits. I mean, like, you know, um, I mean, even losers was on there. I mean, uh, anything off of like damn the torpedoes or the self-titled, um, uh, anything from the, the, the 70s, early 80s. And, um, you know, like American Girl was huge. And uh, I mean, every single that FM radio would really play. And so I, I became hooked uh, with, uh, I mean, obviously with American Girl, just because that song is just so ubiquitous. And was at your wedding too? Did you know that play on the playlist? Well, no. Here comes my girl. Um, It was uh, the first song that played. Well, the second song on the playlist that made basically scattered everyone on the dance floor because it was it came right after uh, Katy Perry's CGIF. (laughs) So so everyone was like, "Yeah, that's enough." (laughs) Well, although I was joking today with uh, with Heather, um, my wife, uh, saying, "Oh, if uh, if our wedding was this year, I'm pretty." sure everyone would stay on the dance floor uh, in uh, commem- uh, commemoration right. of uh, his death but um you know uh yeah no here comes my girl is actually my favorite song by him mm-hmm. um and just th- it speaks to a lot of the, the things i love about tom petty which was his ability kinda, to kind of like focus in on the the more tranquil um the really key moments of love and and, and relationships and and just being young and a lot of the things that are the, the more nuanced look at a kind of Americana lifestyle that I think a lot of singer songwriters don't really see, mm-hmm. you know, like by comparison, I would say he's like all the, the scenes that happen between like John Mellencamp songs, um, in between songs, in between, the, in between the songs, like all the stuff that like really pink houses and Jack, Di- and Jack and Diane is like, that's where Ref- refugee pops up. Yeah. And like sucking on chili dogs. But, um, so no, I, 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 whereas like, I love Springsteen for his abilities to, to tell like larger than life stories that, also feel grounded in certain ways as well. Tom Petty always just felt to, at least to me to capture kind of those moments in that, that you re- that really hit the heart once they actually happen. Like, you know, later on, like when you look at a chair that you might've been sitting on when you were talking to someone that was really close to you um, on the phone or mm-hmm. something like that, or, or later on, like when you see these things and you just start, like it hits your heart and you're like getting nostalgic for it. And you just, you, you're like, Oh, I remember when so-and-so happened on this, you know, this couch, like, you know, when I first had my kiss or, you know, or when I was, when I got off the phone here at the edge of this table and I, I remember thinking, Oh God, like I'm in love with this person. Like, and I feel like he was able, he knew what those, I feel like all his songs prove that he knows what that, that kind of feeling was. And it doesn't feel calculated. It doesn't feel really coming from the heart. No, no. And also like he paints this like vivid scenery of the seventies. And I just, I love, I mean, that's my favorite decade always will be. And, Mm -hmm. um, every time I listen to it, I, I think I really do feel like I'm like transported to that time and a time that was definitely more simple and a little more um, innocent than I feel today is just because everything's so transparent and you could find everything with the click of a mouse or, you know, with the click of your hand on your fucking smartphone or something. But back then there was just, you know, there's this innocent mystery. You had the record player. Yeah. (laughs) You got some denim jackets. And, uh, you know, and you had to actually, you know, talk and call people to, to, you know, to connect. And I, I don't know, there's just not to go into that whole thing, but for me, 
he represents like everything I love about rock and roll. And yeah. so, but, but the thing is, it's, you know, you'd mentioned, you remember seeing him in music videos for me, it's always those three album covers for the, the first three albums that he has. And, um, especially, um, his self-titled and Dan the Torpedoes. And I actually have Dan the Torpedoes framed in, in my office at home. And it just, I always look at it and it like embodies like what I love about rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Um, this just, he's like cool without being, without trying to be too fucking cool. He's just there. He's got the, the golden locks I and mean, he's a hunky guy and, but he's not too hunky either. Like he was accessible. Like, yeah. you know, I like and, what you said. I mean, Mike wrote a really nice mm-hmm. retrospective that was pretty personal and, and really nice oh, thanks. Um, on Tom Petty. And one thing you pointed out was that he just doesn't subscribe to like the bombast of, of these moments. Like yeah. you were saying, it's these like relatively mundane things and he's able to give them poignancy without being too epic. And yeah. it just, like you said, like totally is nostalgic without being like every moment is this shining bright beacon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, like his drive after he drops off the girl, like mm-hmm. is more important than the actual date itself. Sometimes. The like, I, like, of that. Yeah. Which to me is really the case. Most, mm-hmm. A lot well, of the plus, times, you know, it might you know? not, even, it's not, it might not be the one, you yeah. know, it might not be the woman you spend the rest of your life with. But right now you're the just, moment. you're feeling exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I've been on a, a Peter Bogdanovich kick, as everybody goes through in their life. But um, I was running out of movies to watch online and through streaming services until I stumbled upon Netflix. He has a really great, I think it's like three hour long, yeah, uh, Tom Petty documentary called Running. I think it's I think it's uh, Running Down a Dream. I think it's the name of it. It is, yeah. It's. I mean, I, admittedly, I'm, I'm a huge fan of like the hits. Growing up, I've mm-hmm. just always been like a, a greatest hits Tom Petty fan. I've seen him live. He's a terrific live performer. Um, but this documentary really goes into the whole process. It's not just like a, a washed over behind the music thing. I mean, they really go into every single album. They really go into all the band conflict, all the, the, the ups and downs um, throughout what has been a career that's gone well over four, almost 50 years now, which yeah. is crazy to think about. Again, because my earliest memory of him is maybe 10 years into his career. Um, so you should definitely check that out if you haven't already. It should still be on Netflix. I just watched it for the first time, coincidentally, about a month ago. Uh, and Mike, what is the name of your article on Consequence of Sound? If people really want to Google that up and seek it out. Uh, it was called uh, Tom Petty Taught Me Everything I Needed to Know About Love. I think so. <laughs> I think that's the whole Google title. those words. Yeah. It should pop. If you put <laughs> Rothman at the end, you'll probably find it. Or even Tom Petty Rothman, we'll, you'll we'll probably find we'll it. We'll include the article also in the post uh, for this episode as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely... It was a weird day. I had just actually returned from Florida after being there for two weeks and just kind of seeing a lot of the places I grew up and how that's changed as well. And uh, a lot of places are gone. My house doesn't even look the same. Um, the, the, my, my original neighborhood or my original um, childhood home, which moved out of like 20 years ago, but that's all changed. Like the the, the, the high schools have all changed. Everything's modernized, and uh, which is fine. That's what you got to do. It's all, it's all progress. But there was a lot of feelings that came from that and just, just a lot of the visiting a lot of places that just don't exist anymore. And then to come home and be laying there jet lag, like kind of jet lag. Cause I, w- I woke up at like four in the morning and had zero sleep and just fell mm. out of it. Um, but just have this was just, I don't know. I, it, uh, I was in a weird, <laughs> a very weird place, uh, yesterday afternoon, especially after all the stuff that happened in Las Vegas. I think everyone felt this general malaise. Um, and so I don't know. It's, it still hasn't really hit me, hit me in, in, in the right ways, you know, where I, I acknowledge that he's gone. 
Um, I think, uh, you know, for me, it'll be when we start seeing more tribute. Yeah. On, like, whether it's an award show or something like that online. Some of these have already started to come in online. People are already doing tributes, and it's just been bizarre. Yeah. I guess it's just so unexpected for me, at least. Well, it's it's another another oddity for me is that, uh, you know, when I listen to him, I see the young Petty. And I've always, that's always, that's just always been the case for me, even though I did see him in person multiple times, including in his hometown of Gainesville, where that was a 10, 11 years ago already. Um, and he was old then, but there's, for some reason, I've never been able to remove that boyish look of him, um, from, you know, the seventies. And so even now it's, when I think of petty, um, postmortem, I do think, the that high school kid that just was kind of grinning on the covers. You of You still see albums. the damn the, the, the torpedoes. Uh, album yeah, yeah. Like, Unlike yeah. say Springsteen, who I actually see is like the older Springsteen yeah. now, or McCartney, who's you know the older McCartney now. Just because I, I've just been more, I just connected more, I guess, to their later era stuff um, uh, over the years. And um, I don't know. It's weird. It's hard to explain. Is it um, locked in amber for you. On yeah. Those album covers. Yeah. No, totally. Absolutely. Was it in your article or someone else's? I read that they said he wrote the best first lines of. Oh of yeah. Songs. That's <laughs> Noel. Noel Murray um, actually wrote uh, a piece for the AV club. Uh, God, I think back in 2006, probably around the time when highway companion came out. And um, yeah, he wrote this huge long list of like 15 lines or something like that about like, uh, that were great. Um, I mean, he did, he did. I mean, if you look at American girl or, Central. or here comes my girl or, um, uh, refugee breakdown, like all, all the opening lines are just like fucking great. Like he just knew how to write a lead. <laughs> well, my great hope, um, this is that, that doesn't sound very nice, but my, uh, my biggest problem was not with Tom Petty, but you know, his great sits albums. And before you interrupt, let me, let me say my piece. His great sits albums never included, um, you wreck me. Yeah. Now I know that those were, I guess, officially solo songs, right? So they wouldn't, they wouldn't fit in on Tom Petty and the heartbreaker. Well, albums uh, kind of, because there are some, there are some solo songs of his that are on like full moon fever that do appear on greatest hits. I think that's it's the, that's the problem. I, I, I understand. I, I want to say wildflowers came out after greatest hits. No, but there was there's been a couple greatest oh, hits and they're not on there. I I just it's I just remember there. the original greatest hits and because I used to argue, Caffrey and I used to, um, our fellow loser, uh, Caffrey and I used to argue that, um, and I got a lot of shit for this when I when I reviewed the damn the Torpedoes album like yeah, a few years ago. I said that this is really the only album you need to own by him, uh, and that he's not an albums guy. That he's he really is like if you get the greatest hits, you're going to get. Um, you know, most of the, the best of his abilities, which isn't true, uh, especially, especially if you're really taking into consideration all the songs that are on his first three, in addition to a lot of the B sides, cause it's some of his B sides, like there's a song called surrender. That's it's, it doesn't fit on damn the torpedoes, but holy shit, it's a great, a great well, song. Solo records in the early nineties, like full, full, like, late yeah. full movie, like the last DJ is a good song. Those really also brought him back. They kind of rebooted his career. Yeah. Kept him going in the nineties. No, totally. I, so I, I mean, I definitely eat my words a little bit now. Um, but uh, I, I kind of lost my train of thought, I guess. Well, that, to go but. all the way back to my point about You Wreck Me, though. Yeah, You Wreck um, Me. I don't know why it's so on it's that. on there. But guess what? I think the first, I believe the first song on that Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers documentary is the song. It's a live performance of You Wreck Me. So, I don't, hey, record companies out there, get it together. Get You Wreck Me on the greatest hits on the next one. That's definitely going to be coming up within the next six months. For some reason, every time I hear that song, I, I see the trailer for Elizabethtown. <laughs> Because they use that, it's better in your uh, head. <laughs> yeah, no, it's you know, it's it's a little because I, I I'll sympathize with that movie, but um, and they also actually have a song uh, called Square One at the end of that movie, but um, 
that was off of Highway Companion. But I uh, I saw that. That's the tour I saw. The, yeah, the which is which is a great. good album. Yeah, yeah, it's a good, I mean, it's a really good album actually. Um, well, um, this has been the Losers Club of Stephen King podcast. <laughs> hey, I think I was going to say. Oh, so like, I mean, I know we got here from a tweet, but Petty is relevant to King. Like, I don't know if King actually quotes any of his songs, but yeah, I, I was looking up. I figure maybe one of his quotes would have opened the book or something like that over the over the but years. The vibe but I don't is think very had, like. But it's, it's very a, American rock. Yeah. And, I, I do agree. No, no, we. I'm no. I'm, I'm just. I'm happy we spent time I talking mean, about TV. You know, Petty could easily be flag. <laughs> wow, think about it. Well, he's got the he's got the jacket. He's the walking man. He's walking he walks, dude. He, hey, he walks across the you know the United <laughs> yeah, States yeah, like sure. Johnny Appleseed of rock and roll. He's got mm. uh, he's got the hair, the smile. I don't know. He could have been good. And also for all you younger listeners out there, if you watch the video for um, what's the the Johnny Depp video again? It's um. Oh God! It's a later era one. Oh, I can't it's remember totally what it is. escaping me. I'll make the joke later on. Let's move on with, this, with our lives here. <laughs> it's. I think it's again his like late '90s album, isn't it? Oh, Into the Great Wide Open. Oh, Into the Great Wide Open. Okay, okay. if you watch that video now, it's Johnny Depp now. Yeah, like it was recorded like kind of like oh look how crazy he is. He's like he's out of control. 1991, but that's actually what Johnny Depp is now in 2017. Yeah. So watch that video with a fresh pair of eyes. Hey, yeah, Secret Window uh, star. Johnny it's pretty Depp. much yeah. yeah. It's a precursor to Secret Window character. We said that about Johnny Depp Johnny too. Depp. Like that after Secret Window, he became that character. <laughs> he started wearing the hats and the fake glasses. The hairstyle. The oh god. Look, I have to wear glasses. I don't want to wear glasses. This guy's walking around. He doesn't have to wear glasses. What's he doing? Johnny Depp is, is what's uh, he's over or underrated at this point now. At this point, over. over yeah, there was a time where he was underrated. You know, Laura Wood, terrific. I definitely buy the abuse rumors too. Yeah, just yeah that's not that. helping his cause. Yeah. Johnny, stop doing Pirates of the Caribbean movies, and more importantly, get your act together. Yeah. I know you're listening. Yeah, he's definitely, he's a huge and, and Johnny, that that four past midnight secret window episode is going to be coming up in about six months. So <laughs> he actually uh, he actually called in to the podcast oh. um, a few months ago. Uh, which doesn't make any sense because we can't call into this podcast. But uh, he, he called somebody's cell phone. He he liked he you know he left us an audio message and uh, he was just like uh, you know uh, hey guys I really like you doing it there. Oh uh, yeah, I like to wear vests and uh, you know. Uh, it he was bit. very rude. We don't need to repeat. <laughs> he was a jerk. What he said. He, he just kept talking about his wardrobe. Man. And he, it was really really weird. And he threw a wine glass at me and a phone. Um, so <laughs> he's really. He's got it all together. Uh, but anyway, I miss I miss Tom. Well, end of the day. <laughs> Um, I'll end of the day, seriously, though, rest uh, in peace to Tom Petty. Yeah. And there's no transition here. There's but none. let's go into Hollywood King. Yeah. There's a town on the coast of Del Sol. Always find my way there. There's a place that the calls to my soul. Always find my way there. People there are forever young. Forever young. And they toast to each other's love each and every night. All right, well, let's get started here with news about guess what, Mike? Andy Muschietti's It? You got it, brother. Oh, my gosh. Look, what can I say? The nation loves this movie. Mm-hmm. The nation loves this movie. We've, we've, we finally found something to, to band together about. <laughs> yeah. Stephen King's It. Oh, my gosh. A killer clown uh, killing children. Um, well, it's coming back for more, mm-hmm. as we as we all know. Uh, to the surprise of absolutely no one, we won't have to wait another 27 years for the sequel. An official release date of September 6, 2019 has been announced for the sequel, with the sizzling siblings Muschietti returning to co-produce, brother Andy directing, and Gary Doberman writing solo this go-around. Um, 
don't have any casting announcements yet, uh, so we're going to want to keep our eyes glued to the social media for the inevitable Jess- Jessica Castine. Uh, Jessica Chastine? Jessica Chastine. Jessica. 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 I won't chastise you for... Um, um, <laughs> for <laughs> look, I know, it's, I know everyone's making it as a given that she's going to get this. Amy Adams? Who else is going to get But be? somebody was, did recommend Amy Adams, and I think it's a better choice. I think it's going to be one of those two, right? Christina Hendricks. Christina Hendricks oh. would be awesome. Can we get Christina Hendricks like a good high profile gig? She was in Bad Santa oh, too. That's that, the last thing I saw her in. That was one of the most embarrassing appearances in a movie I've, I think just, I've seen. Because it's just such a on dishonorable role. Firefly, just, uh, she's great. And give her she some was more in Firefly? Stuff. Yeah, recurring. She had a couple of bits on that. Very good. I don't know why I'm shocked at this. I never watched she's Firefly. She's Mouse X, right? I've no, seen like three episodes the of Firefly. one who you thought was kind of. Like innocent, but it turned out yeah, she, she was, was just in like control. his conniving yeah. ex girlfriend. Were they ex? Was it ex girlfriend? I don't. Again, I've seen. Was she? Oh, you Firefly head, heads out there. Let us know immediately. Was she the love interest for my favorite political activist uh, Adam Baldwin? Um, <laughs> no, there was no love interest for political pundit Adam Baldwin. <laughs> Yeah, Another great example of me separating the art from the human being. Yeah, Adam <laughs> seriously. Uh, but I will say uh, it is pretty astounding that uh, it managed to bounce back to number one in the box office. We don't see that very often anymore. I, I think at the last second it might have ended up being at number two by like a couple oh, thousand wait, dollars really? or something like that. I'm, I'm talking about like it was like a, one of those update. This is what actually <laughs> happened. We might be wrong on that. I think it was probably that uh, Vice article that came out talking about the Pennywise Confessions Tumblr and how all these people out there want to fuck Pennywise. That's probably what bumped it back What's up to number not, one. Oh the only thing I've read God. about Pennywise, he's soaking up with the Babadook now. Have you heard yes, about this? I heard yes, about that also. An item. The meme is adapted. They it's, are dating. It's, it's official. I, uh, I actually got a chance to go see it for a second time mm-hmm. uh, with my brother and, uh, and one of our friends uh, from down there and uh, down in South Florida. And I saw it at one of those dine-in movie theaters. At, uh, and oh, here just, we go. Oh, man. Bad experience. You didn't like it. No, no, it, it wasn't. A, it actually was a lot of fun because the people I were with, I, I, I loved to death. But um, the the these people that wouldn't stop talking, that you were ordering foods, so people were eating like fucking chicken fingers while this, like Georgie's getting eaten, uh, which is really weird. I, I don't get this dining experience for movies. Not to go off on my little uh, you know, soapbox no, here. I, I, can't, I can't handle this. I don't really understand how it makes it better. This, this particular th- theater had no even, they had no concession stand, so I had to order actually in the seat, which, by the way, I ordered my lemonade and Reese's Pieces, did not arrive. Uh, <laughs> and I think someone next to me got it. Oh. So I almost became Pennywise. Um, well, we won't name gonna... theater names, but I'll say there was a, an experience, there's a certain theater that um, really brags about how like no cell phones allowed, you yeah. know, don't talk during the movie, which listen, I love. Don't worry, go, go, I, I'm, I've been known to go up to, to people and tap them and say, "Turn off your fucking phone." Oh yeah, you go that far. I do. I don't throttle them, but that's. I'm sure I'm on my way, patient wise. <laughs> um, but um, this is the same type of theater though that will allow like the the, the dine-in experience, and they'll drop off the bill. It's so, like waiters walking around with five minutes left to the movie. Yeah. And <laughs> How so do you quietly, see your food? It's quietly dark. dropping off the bill, and of course, inevitably, there's somebody. that's like, I, I didn't order the coke. <laughs> I didn't order coke. Like this is really working out. I might just get your phones out at this point. And you hear you hear this nonstop because they all come on these plastic trays. You hear. So anyway, that's our old man uh, 
I, report here look, for the. Uh, to be fair, I theaters. I have ordered at one of these theaters before uh, during South by Southwest, mm-hmm. and you know the the hints as to what theater we're talking about uh, draws uh, closer. Um, but uh, I've done this multiple times because I just been stuck in a theater for ten hours, and I don't feel like going to like Torchy's Tacos uh, nearby or something like that. Mm. Uh, another hint as to where uh, what I'm talking about. But oh my uh, God, you guys, and, they're not going to like blacklist you. <laughs> no, 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 no. They have to worry about right now. The, the people that the people that work with them are great. Um, but uh, I, um, I, I gotta say, uh, I think the director of um, Unfriended uh, said it best. Uh, why is there uh, people eating enchiladas uh, during my horror movie? I, I, I don't understand this. Uh, that's what one of the directors I just complained to him, me. Like standing up during the movie and making that pronounce. <laughs> like, excuse me, why are you eating these enchiladas? I, Look, I, I, I don't need. You. I, can, I like to smell popcorn. Mm-hmm. I like to smell um, Reese's pieces. Reese's apparently. pieces. You kind of smell that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't need to smell like, you know, Asian chicken salads and enchiladas and hear the crunching of people's fucking chips while they're eating. Even if you're even if you're at home and if I'm watching a movie and someone's eating next to me, I'm worried that they're paying too much attention to their food Uh, and not looking up to crucial plot developments. I hear you, Mel, because there will be times, especially if I've seen the movie before they have, I'll I'll kind of go look over like, are you looking at this? Are you looking at this? Tell me you're looking. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Yeah. Look, we've we've. Full admission, when doing research for the Stephen King podcast, we have ordered many a pizza and wings uh, while watching uh, The Mangler, uh, while watching Listen, The Shining 1997 miniseries. Hey, I liked Unfriended, though. That You shouldn't be eating enchiladas no, 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 during yeah. Unfriended. I agree. I've only heard good things, only heard things there's, there's no reason to be... That movie's visceral, and it's it's very unnerving, and there's no reason to have chicken enchiladas. Enchilada? Uh, that, that requires no. cutlery? It does. Now... Well, I will say, say would you eat it at, would you would you be averse to eating the chicken enchilada if you were at home watching Unfriended? It depends on the method of eating because yeah. if someone is too absorbed in those enchiladas, then and the enchiladas can get messy too. They can get messy, especially horror. I mean, there's jump scares. That's it can get messy that way. Let's say it comes especially with if it's your apartment too. Look, but, I think we're not we're now talking about dangers like health risks. No. If it's too hot and you I jump just, up, just don't be a slob. That's all I ask when you're uh, watching a movie with me. <laughs> I I have another admission uh, when I went to go see Gone Girl at uh, the Alamo Draft House, which is what we were talking about, if you couldn't get it, um, was uh, I, I had not eaten all day. I had come back from a flight. Uh, I was with a couple of friends, one of which fell asleep within 20 minutes of the movie, which uh, she shall rename nameless. Um, and was it I, Jessica Chastain? No, it wasn't Jessica Chastain. Um, but uh, I, I ordered a salad because mm. I just was I just wanted something refreshing. And when you're in Austin, you really can't get that as much uh, because everything is just really bad for you there. Um, I, that's not true that they have great food, but it's very hard to find something healthy. The food's awesome. Down. It's not awesomely healthy. No. Uh, so I had this great salad, and here I'm watching, you know, Ben Affleck run away from Rosamund Pike, and I, I just, and I'm just, my salad's just sitting there because I was like, I can't do this. I think you just described the plot of Gone Boy. Gone Boy. Did this Rosamund Pike run away from Ben Affleck? <laughs> oh yeah, both, it is. Both kind of both kind of happened. Both, both, both yeah. yeah, yeah. I think he might have been running away from the marriage in that movie. I, I think that's a little. Uh, Commentary there, yeah. You mean Just in real life? Deep take. <laughs> There's my 2,000 word. Gone Girl is about a dysfunctional marriage. Well, <laughs> it, it led to it led no, to it led to the real villain. It led to Gone Garner. <laughs> oh my god. If you're out there, Ben Affleck, we'd love uh, to have you on the podcast. Yeah. We can do the stand. Yeah, I actually hope that he does direct the stand. I think that'd I'd be, be really he needs great. A, he needs a bit of a comeback after that disaster that was that gangster movie from the uh, from last year, Live by Night. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, shout out to my to my boy, the Cape Crusader. Um, I can't wait for Justice League. It's coming out in, what, four weeks, and everyone's uh, really pumped. Uh, who wants to take the next uh, piece of news? <laughs> uh, Mel, I'll why don't you read this? All right. 
This show will be missed by no one. Ooh, I think I know what you're talking about. Well, hold on. <laughs> hold on. <laughs> Due to regime changes, rebranding, and the fact that the show was abysmal, the missed TV series is no more. Oh. Uh, despite Spike Paramount Network president Kevin Kay leaving the door slightly open earlier this spring, the show will not be seeing a second season. <laughs> Hopefully, the men in black can zap the memories of the show ever existing from our brain. That's right, folks. Sony Pictures announced over the weekend that we are getting a men in black spinoff in 2019, though it will likely have nothing to do with Agents J or K, played by Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, respectively. We here at the Losers Club aren't ruling out Rip Torn to retorn. <laughs> Hell, at this rate, that crazy old man will outlive all of us. This news has nothing to do with Stephen King. <laughs> well, let's take a second here and talk about, because remember, they were going to do uh, a Men in Black 21 Jump Street uh, combination. I film. thought that would have been a great thing I to agree, happen. but they're not going to do it. It's not happening anymore. It sounds like Jonah Hill and Shane Tatum are doing their own thing right now. So we do wish Sony Pictures <laughs> the best of luck with um, their Men in Black Can reboot. we talk about how Men in Black is like... A really great film that actually stands the test of it's been time. 20, I think it's another example. Jumanji. I always liked Jumanji. To be fair, I always liked Jumanji. This is really important and related to I, Stephen I, King. I, both things. What a left turn! <laughs> I totally didn't see this when I printed it out today. <laughs> well, look, we do, again, uh, Sony Pictures. You're doing great. What what um, could they possibly spin off? You're not going to get Laura Flynn Boyle. She didn't even uh, return back for Twin Peaks. It's a whole agency, Michael. Yeah, that's right. Maybe like, if the, the only spin off I would like is if Linda Florentino actually came back. As Agent L, I think her name was um, in the original oh, film, but they just. I'll bet the, you they'll uh, get a pug in there. It's just going to oh be a God. talking Frank, pug. Right? Frank, yeah. Frank, Frank right? the pug the, apparently lives past Look, the actual dog aspiration. You know, dude. you sober up Rip Torn, get him in there to get some new recruits. Same with Emma Thompson. I love. You stole Riptorn. my Marlboes. Larry Sanders show, terrific. Hey, he's great in that show. He is great. I'm not hosting an intergalactic in... cargo. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> Did Rip Torn center the studio? Oh my, oh my God, Rip Torn! Fuck me, fuck you! I love him in Freddy Got Fingered. Um, he is in that. He is in the film as well. You're right. <laughs> uh, I, I I'm going to give this to you because okay, you're, well, you're but no more the mist. That's the uh, the, the takeaway there. It's yeah, done. Yeah. By the way, the mist TV show. Hope you, if you enjoyed it, amazing. First of all, if you enjoyed it. That's so actually, happy that's for actually you. amazing. <laughs> I would love to hear like a, a response. If anybody out there actually enjoyed, if anybody out there actually watched all of the mist, please let us know. We will read it. We will read your response on there. I'll say this. Um, it ranked really low in our uh, adaptations uh, ranking recently. It sure did. Deservedly yeah. so. Yeah. Uh, this next bit of news is very important. Miss uh, right not it. Russia, who has just been killing it as of late, has a problem with Pennywise, or should we say problema is Pennywise. That's right. Burger King's Russia division has filed a complaint with the country's federal anti-monopoly service, claiming, and I quote the Hollywood Reporter, that Pennywise looks like Ronald McDonald <laughs> and therefore works as an advertisement for the rival fast food brand. Well, hopefully after Russia solves this issue, they can move on to other issues like absolving the purpose of protecting children from the information advocating for a denial of traditional family values law established back in 2013. We'll keep you posted on that front. So I, wanna, I have a question for you. What are they thinking? <laughs> that that just seeing anything, no, no matter if it's eating children or not, <laughs> if, like, that just seeing anything that resembles a competitor I, I is going to make you crave if, the McDonald's fries. We've got Mel and I are looking at this book that Mike purchased. Mike, what is this? It's a birth uh, movie's death compilation of Stephen King articles. Yeah. Is that right? Well, there's a picture of Tim Curry in here in kind of normal clown makeup. And I could understand if it was just this picture, maybe like, okay, he just looks like a clown. Yeah. And he's just pointing at people. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But what about this new movie, when you look at the clown played by Bill, Bill Skarsgård, what looks 
appealing is about it? that clown. I, you know, I, I got to say, he's uh, he's kind of a hunk, Bill Skarsgård. Well, yeah, there's that whole the, Tumblr again. There's all yeah. these people that want to fuck the clown. They but, do. But, but, but the Pennywise, he's playing with like the, like the, like the eyes going in all directions. Well, and to the, be fair, and the, and in the, Russia, they actually have a scene where Eddie uh, gets terrorized by the Fry Kids. Um, <laughs> It's not a leper, but you just see like a shuffling fry it's, like it's running grimace, after him. Oh, grimace actually. Grimace. <laughs> it's true. And when he gets to the gate, he sees grimace just like. By the way, really what is grimace? At the end, though, when they do the when they're cutting themselves with the glass, yeah, and then all of a sudden the hamburger comes up and goes, "What about me?" <laughs> Um, so oh, anyway, God. or no, Birdie comes up and, uh, you know, is like, look, Bev's not the only female in the Losers Club. Um, oh, Birdie, I remember Birdie. Yeah. Well, I, it's I, been a long time. I remember Birdie a... just now from, for years of yeah. blocking that. Wow. Yeah, there's he a was like a big duck. Like, what was the deal there? Okay. It's, a, it's a, like a, Grimace. What was Grimace? Like a purple, it was like, like a, like a, a chicken McNugget gone bad. Well, that's, that I never understood. I actually looked this up a few years ago and I think it was supposed to be a reference to like a, one of their original milkshakes. Like Whoa. a grape, like, like yeah, like a grape milkshake. Mm. <laughs> also, his name is face. Grimace, which is not a positive no, word. It's it's a very weird word. I don't know who came up with them. Even though Grimace is easily the best of the bunch. Um, oh, without question, we did a big poll on Consequence of Sound a couple years ago about that. And <laughs> yes, but like if it was huge. if it was honestly Ronald McDonald eating children, going <laughs> dead eyed and I eating mean, children, they would have a problem with it. I, I think actually that would be more frightening of a film than the one we got. I, oh yeah, I think so. It'd be a little more of especially a commentary it, too. Especially if it looked, yeah, it would be a commentary like McDonald's is killing our children. It almost killed me actually. Um, <laughs> I had actually, McDonald's today. True story Ooh. about McDonald's. It almost killed my father. Now, oh, uh, I don't know if you uh, remember constant listeners, but I've talked about how I was my own little Ben Hask- Hanscom uh, when I was younger. Um, in other words, I was uh, as, as what I called myself, uh, um, uh, Chubbs Rothman, and um, I was. I about, didn't know uh, this. Oh, I was. Yeah. I was probably about eighty pounds overweight, and. Um, uh, at one point, I weighed 240 pounds when I was about uh, 6'1". Um, wow. Pretty bad, but um, actually maybe shorter, about 5'11". Well, you so grew up to be John Ritter. I grew up to be John Ritter, so it's it all worked out. But when I was younger, and one of the only family dinners I can recall having with my dad and my mother all together, we had a spaghetti meal. I've never liked spaghetti, and I caused a fit, and I really wanted a Happy Meal, and, uh, you know, because I was an 80s kid, and I was like, oh, I just want, you know, I want a Happy Meal. If, at that point, they probably had, like, a Back to the Future toys or something like that, but I begged and begged and begged, and my dad, uh, who never was one for patience, uh, was like, all right, that's it. I'm taking you. I'll get you your goddamn Happy Meal, so we left. And it was a rainy night, and we actually had uh, three steps to get up to the front door of my house. And uh, me, uh, Portly Rothman, uh, walked over to the tip of the uh, the steps, and I slipped. And my like, I, I mean, I tumbled. He says I tumbled up in the air. So I just imagine like like the little Chris Farley just like twirling in the air. He jumped for me after seeing this, after locking the door. And grabbed me just before my head like was gonna crack onto the the stairs, but his leg came crashing down on the stairs, and he was never able to jog again. Now, cut to five or seven years later, and I finally was not able to eat McDonald's ever again. <laughs> <laughs> so, true story. True You're story. Reversed. Yeah, yeah. So. It, it is a it is a deadly uh, um, you know franchise, but I, I do think that uh, Ronald McDonald would be pretty scary if he was in, especially as like his like porcelain bench version, yeah. you know the yeah. one that you kind of sit next to. Yeah. Um, if there was that version, is, is like is Pennywise just wandering around? Well, listen, I like Omel. I had McDonald's a couple of days ago. Oh, what'd you have? Um, 
I, well, I threw it away immediately when I read this thing about how Russia feels they're being oh, ripped yeah. off or Burger King feels like they're being ripped off. I live across the street from McDonald's. It's a miracle that I don't eat more of it. I used to live across. I used to, I used to always pass McDonald's on my way home, and it was always just right, literally right there on the sidewalk, and I would eat so much of it. I, I've definitely cut down my McDonald's consumption. Actually, I just had a McFlurry two days ago. Well, those are I'm good. Not, not even joking because I like to make the, the, the M&M's McFlurry. I haven't had one in like maybe seven or eight years. I have a quick Tasty question. Great. I have a quick question. What do you think Burger King could do to combat or to, to have the revenge off of oh. the Pennywise McDonald's? What could they do? So what, do they got the Whopper? Dude, the King, the oh, King mask is already king. creepy too. Yeah. Like, uh, king? king? Stephen King? <laughs> king? Oh my God. What if they just you know, changed Stephen King? Patterson is getting upset because <laughs> Burger King is giving free advertisement to Stephen King. I, I, I would love it if like Stephen King, if they finally lost the rights to whatever design they have for the King right now. Um, and they just swap him in with uh, Stephen King. <laughs> and we just have like a Stephen King roaming around, like haunting people uh, with uh, Burger King. Crimson King. Crimson King? Yeah. Ooh, Crimson King. That could work also. Take that, Mickey D's. Ooh, Dark Tower tie-in. Finally. Yeah. <laughs> they finally for the advertisement. Well, when it goes to a- AMC, I guess Burger King can kind of get on there. You know, that could be like its ties to Midworld. You know, like, come to Burger King. Wishes and glasses presented by... <laughs> what's the new Burger King slogan, anyway? Yeah, well, it, I don't oh, even shit. know. Home what of the is Whopper? The, is still? it like we make it your way? or yeah, is it's that Have It Your Way. Oh, Have yeah. It Your Way. Like that. Is that it? I think so. It was Home of the Whopper for a long time. Have It Your Way of the... Or Have It You Are Way, because You Are is a title mm. of a Stephen King short story. Well, if he had a Happy Meal that was tied to Wizard and Glass or Dark Tower, you could have the stones... That you could collect all six stones or whatever for, you know, for the man of. Oh, black. you mean like the the the, the balls? Yeah, the, the balls, the glass balls. Yeah. Or you could have the orbs. Like, the, orbs. the orbs. Yeah, definitely the orbs. put real glass balls oh, yeah. into children's. I'm just picturing this lame ad campaign where Stephen marble. King and Burger King are like, well, who, which king has like reached more people? Who's the better king? And they always come. He's like, well, you know what? I don't know, but they make a damn good burger. Or something. <laughs> they like make that. a damn good burger. Hey, Tabby, take me down to <laughs> take me down to the BK. Gotta Tabby, go to the lounge. We're at Buffalo Fries. I need to see, uh, uh, what is it, v- a Viz Kid or whatever. Viz Kid? <laughs> a fucking kid from the BK Kids Club. Oh, my God. Wow. Is it a Vid Kid? I yeah, Vid Kid. No, I think no it's one Vid knows kid. except you. Uh, you know what? I, I was a huge subscriber to the BK Lounge also. Now so. I'm going to picture, whenever I walk past McDonald's it's by my house, I'm going to see Pennywise shaking that child's arm like oh, in the world. Well, it, they, you know, you know how like, sometimes it. they use footage from movies to like... Ooh. I'm loving it. it. That's Wait actually a minute. Oh my something God. going that's, on here. That's a terrible T-shirt from like Teesprings. It's like Ronald McDonald as Pennywise. I'm serious. This is this. Oh, and it says, I'm loving it. And then the it is like the dripping. Oh, my God. Okay. Russia. You might be onto something. If you want to use that as Exhibit B, <laughs> you said you're in your claim. I'm kind of bummed out they didn't do like a Happy Meal tie-in for it now at, at McDonald's. It would have been so good. Just you an have... armless Georgie that you can Collect squeak and his oh, arm yeah. falls off. I, I'm thinking back to like the old Muppet Babies toys they used to have back in like the late 80s. Really, I think it was late 80s. And you could get like a little vehicle. You could get all the bikes with the little kids and then you, a special Pennywise, like a piece of Pennywise with each kid. You know, and then you could build Pennywise together. Maybe there's like, you know, you could even have like a little, like a stuffed turtle that you can get also. It should be like a combination of seven for the Losers Club. Right? Yeah. Well, I remember the cool glasses you could get though. <laughs> yeah. Those were cool. That I love, you talking about like, oh like drinking glasses? Yeah. Like, like the, the Star Batman Wars. Ones? I, I used to collect those. They were glass. They were pretty high quality and they yeah. looked cool. Even even like the plastic cups are kind of cool. I had one for Batman Returns. I had the, them also for Jurassic Park when you could see uh, our boy uh, Sam Neill. On it, um. we'll, we'll be talking about him when we get to Gerald's game later. <laughs> this isn't a game. This isn't. Yeah, he did was, you order a happy meal? He did do a great no, job at Gerald's. It's game, awful. Yeah. He, no, he did. We'll, we'll get to him. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to like the inevitable like iTunes review in a couple of weeks of like 
All they did was talk about. I heard about this great Stephen King podcast. They talked about McDonald's, Russia, and, 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 and Men in Black, <laughs> and <laughs> Sam Neill for some reason. Oh boy! But let's at least temporarily get back on track. Yeah. Okay. Until we go okay. right off the rails again. Yeah. Mike, you want to read this next news item here? Yeah, Vulture picks King's Brain. Uh, we're not busy ranking Seinfeld's The Outing. Uh, Seinfeld's. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Fields it's like Mrs. Fields Alex. Mrs. Fields' husband uh, No, no, no We're not busy ranking Seinfeld's The Outing as the series' worst episode Vulture publishes some pretty great features um, For instance, they recently released an expansive interview with Uncle Stevie himself And uh, there are a few major takeaways uh, All of which we um, put on the site, uh, Consequence of Sound uh, Courtesy of... Uh, our fellow loser, Randall Colburn, uh, who dissected the whole thing. Um, one of the pieces uh, is that King suggests that the alleged upcoming AMC Dark Tower series will be a complete reboot, which goes with what we were saying before. You said the best case scenario. This is the beginnings yeah. of it, Justin. Mm-hmm. Somebody's listening. <laughs> is it, is it, was, it, was it really confirmed for AMC already? Uh, yeah, that was confirmed. Wow. The AMC thing was confirmed. Because I know, like, ago. Glenn Matarazzo or whatever yeah, it was. Glenn Mazzaro. From Mazzaro. Uh, the Shield fame. Yeah. And Walking Dead fame. And I think, uh, no, it wasn't uh, Evil Dead 2. I always get it mixed up. But um, I, uh, that's interesting if it's AMC, because it's AMC really, uh, like, believes in their shows. Yeah. Like, look at how long Turn has stayed and whatever that, uh, Into the Badlands. I've never met one human being <laughs> in my entire life, both offline and online, that has ever watched Into the Badlands, Turn, or um, what is that other show that they they have on there? For, oh, um, Hell on Wheels. Anybody watch Hell on Hell Wheels? Wheels? Yeah, I've never seen anyone. I, I will say there was one show you could you'd easily lump in there. Rubicon. Yes, really good show. But see, here's the thing: I actually Too know people that watch TV. that. Yeah, I've I've never met anyone, you know, who's who's watched those other three shows, which makes me think like a, a high caliber show like uh, The Dark Tower is going to last. Well, I feel like look, The Walking Dead keeps pumping in money for them, but yeah. admittedly, the ratings have gone down. So does down. Preacher. Preacher does a pretty good like, like, not like, not like yeah. Walking Dead money, though. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, well, here's the, here's they the thing. They cut off Breaking Bad when they needed to. Well, yeah. then they brought in Better Call Prequel. Well, yeah. I don't know if that was their ch- their choice for Breaking Bad because I think Vince Gilligan Vince was, was like, like I'm good, you know. He's we're a done. true auteur. Yeah. Well, I, and he sticks to his true vision. And he's like, you know what? We're only going to do so many seasons of this. We don't want it to be like season seven, eight, nine where we're like, what are we doing? We're spinning our exactly. wheels with this guy. Well, but you yeah, were saying the best case is that this goes on and on and on until we forget about... That's yeah. the Until you forget about this thing that happened this past summer. Now, and there is material for it. Yeah. It's all there. Let, let's be honest. McConaughey's not going to do. AMC. I'm telling you, if this if they do this reboot thing where you just kind of start from the young Roland and just move, move her, make her way on, you just recast everything. Oh, God, I want, I want Idris Elba, though. Is he going to be busy, though, like five years from now? Like, I don't know how involved he's going to be in this thing going I forward. I want Adrius and Tom. That, those are my favorite things hey, from that movie. Tom um, would be, Tom's be, Tom's be way too old by the time they get around that, to that. That actually is true. That I, don't, I don't think they're going to be able to do with Tom. But who knows? I'll I be mean, very curious. You know, people announce these things all the time. Let's just wait and see if this actually goes into production next year. That's all I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, you know. I, I mean, the way everything's been working out, with these King adaptations, I wouldn't be surprised if it really does mm-hmm. actually come to fruition. Um, if they continue to use it as a framing device where Idris is the lead on that, that's great. Um, yeah. Because then that means that once they're done, or they're done with Wizard and Glass, maybe they could just continue doing TV. That's what we, that's what we talked you know? about. Yeah, yeah, I, I think yeah. that would be great. Um, but to go back to AMC, I... I Seeing that really put, uh, you know, made, gave me some hope that this actually can come to fruition because, I mean, they really do 
like give chances to their shows. Like Halt, Halt Catch, Catch Fire, Fire is probably, yeah. probably yeah. my favorite TV show um, that that's come out of AMC in, in a long run. And I love that show and not a lot of people watch it. And they gave that show four great seasons and it's currently wrapping up its last mm-hmm. and I'm loving it. Um, like you know, uh, much like McDonald's McDonald's. Yeah. Or McDonald's it campaign. Anyway, um, job, Burger King. another takeaway from the interview is that uh, as for the film, uh, the dark tower, uh, King believes that the challenge of simplifying much of the book series into one movie was a major challenge and the decision to go PG 13 with material that is extremely violent and deals with violent behavior in a fairly graphic way. Wasn't a great decision. Despite this honesty, he concludes tower talk with this odd statement. I've got to say, I thought Akiva Goldsman did a terrific job in taking a central part of the book and turning it into what I thought was a pretty good movie. I like to once again say I feel like whenever he says whenever he says whenever he says these things you can like just off screen see like the, like like the, like the tip of like a gun yeah and like <laughs> Akiva Goldsman's holding it to his head like don't fuck me it. Steven He's don't like, fuck me don't put the blame on me do not assign me the blame hey fuck <laughs> whoa say it <laughs> say it you fuck <laughs> swap fuck is Akiva Goldsman uh, doing blue velvet now? yeah I'm <laughs> just bleeding Frank all Frank Goldsman Frank Goldsman I've heard of Frank Goldsmith but Frank Goldsman uh, right. anyway, God. anyway, anyway, uh, last a little bit here, later, later in the interview, King also discussed, uh, potential adaptations that might be coming down the pipeline, including an adaptation of the stand that we've all heard about, uh, with ties to Josh Boone and to Showtime and to, uh, Ben Affleck at one point. Uh, but he's also saying it could still be for Showtime, but maybe as an extended TV series. Although he also says it could be for CBS All Access, uh, which uh, leads me to believe that would be the worst thing you could possibly do. Well, because you know they, they really CBS All Access has been going on for a little while. They had the the Good Wife spinoff, the Good what's it called? Yeah, I don't know what it's called. Oh, it's, it's not CBS. Yeah, I don't yeah. really know. It's, Who cares? It's the home of like Kevin Can Wait or whatever. It yeah, is. but that and Star Wars Discovery, Star Wars, Star, <laughs> Star Trek <laughs> Discovery, is pretty popular right now, and that's really like cementing itself as like. They're really trying to cement CBS All Access yeah. the way to go in terms of streaming. I, I'm hoping it goes to Showtime. Uh, I saw what they did with uh, Twin Peaks. Um, as everyone uh, on this podcast uh, knows, I'm a super fan of Twin Peaks, and I loved uh, what the the agency that Showtime offered them. I think Showtime was such an exception to the rule, and unless you uh, Showtime, I mean, I mean, I think that Twin Peaks was such an exception to the rule because every other Showtime show I've been invested in goes off the rails like around season three. I don't yeah. know what's going on, and plus. Unless David Lynch is showing up saying, "Hey, I want to do another. I want to do the Stan TV series." They're gonna be much more hands on. Oh man, that Twin would be Peaks. so great! That'd it would start really with weird. like. It would start with like. Uh, start with the very end of the yeah. stand. <laughs> be like, well, here we go. <laughs> um, but he also says that there might be a first time big screen adaptation of Salem's Lot, which I would absolutely be down. Yeah. For and we talked hope, about that a long time yeah, ago. Yeah. I think. I think about, we've multiple podcasts. I think we've been wanting to get. A Salem, a proper Salem slot. Was that on the list of the properties that it would need to be made very soon, or they would have to request the rights back from him? I can't remember because the thing was with that was that was a television deal that they they did back in the seventies. I don't know if that was on that list. I just remember the the Cujo one. The Cujo Cujo was on there. Children of the Corn was on there, of course. I don't need to see another Cujo. Don't need to see Corn, but I would love. Need to see Corn. I I don't need to see the band either. Yeah, (laughs) band either. I um. Ooh, another Corn reference. Remember when we were going on a run with. uh, the we first few episodes, oh every, God. for random reasons, we kept mentioning corn early on in this podcast. Mm-hmm. I don't know what it was. What well, can I say? I think we're never huge know. fans. But um, 
Salem's Lot would be great only if they said it in the 70s. Can't be said today. Sorry. I think just about every one of these would just be better off being set in their period. Yeah. I think we need more. Yeah, they might pieces. do 80s just because it's so hot right now. I know. But they're not yeah. going earlier than that, I would say. I mean, honestly, I. But you could do a Salem's Lot turn because that's so close to the 70s when they did that. Well, I actually wrote that in the mid 70s, but you could you could still make it like in the early 80s and have it work. I Here, guess, here's, you know? here's a question. How uninteresting is it going to be when we watch it too and it's set now? Yeah, I don't know. Like who, you know, who wants to who wants to watch a movie set today? I don't. I really don't. I, I I think today sucks. I think it's I think it's a shit world. I think we have like really no mystery and and and, and majesty to kind of behold on the screen. And I I just well yeah. How are they going to make dairy like at all threatening? Like yeah. the whole point of it being imposing is that it's got this like vibe to it that's a little old timey when exactly. you read it. So there's like no internet access there. It's like oh the T-Mobile store on the <laughs> yeah. corner. Yeah. Is. <laughs> It's eating up. Uh, the uh, corporations are eating everything up. Hey, uh, Bev, uh, before we stop at this uh, Chinese food restaurant, can I go run into Brookstone real quick? Uh, <laughs> I need to go. Figure. I need to find a neck massager. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, do you guys still have a Best Buy here? Oh, it closed also? Wow. Oh. I guess, uh, you and know. And Mike's a librarian, but everybody's ordering off Amazon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's nothing the one there. he turns the drugs in the movie. He's going to be like, yeah, right? Because <laughs> of Amazon. <laughs> That's the end. It's like a big uh, fuck you to Amazon. <laughs> maybe it'll be a commentary on automation, and Pennywise could be uh, the, you know, the digital jobs and drones that are taking over I, I don't know I just was thinking about that recently uh, or at least the second go around because I, I, I remember a lot of people were complaining about how it wasn't set in the 50s and a part of me kind of now wishes it was when you think about it, even if it was like set like in 62 yeah and some, then you bounce to so you got the 60s nostalgia and you get the 80s nostalgia yeah that would have been pretty interesting would have been fine because it definitely worked as kids for the 80s thing yeah but like you said I don't know but no but listen we got Gary Doberman he wrote Annabelle he wrote The Nun Plus, we're going to get, flying you know, solo's time. I, we'll we got get all the it, faith three, in the <laughs> it three in space. It'll be like Jason X, because by then we'll all be living. Yeah, oh, it's I funny, love that. I remember they, that be... they, were, they asked him about that, Mel, about <laughs> could you possibly make this a, a trilogy? And I, I, I had the gun right to my head about to blow my head off. But then Lucy actually did say, no, it only works as, as two chapters. This wouldn't be like a Hobbit situation where we add in so much supplementary material where it's just Oh, a God. Joke. And Stephen uh, Merchant uh, stars as a... Uh, is it Stephen Merchant? No, it's uh, I always get his name wrong. You talking about Andy the guy Circus? who plays Bilbo? Bilbo. <laughs> oh, it's um, um, Stephen Merritt. No, it's not Stephen. It's Martin, uh, Freeman. Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman. Sam Neil. Sam, Sam Neil. Sam Neil. <laughs> hey, Samwise. He's New Zealand. Get um, the ring. Anyway, oh, get gosh. the ring. Well, the, the, ring. the final bit of uh, Hollywood King news I did want to mention was mm. that uh, Justin had already you know gave a reference to it, but yeah, Birth Movies, Death, and uh, and Mondo uh, team together. They did this amazing book. We actually uh, shared some images on our uh, Instagram account. Which, by the way, if you're not following, you should. We got some really funny images on there. I just uh, we always post some fun stuff that we see on our travels. But anyway. Um, we uh, we ordered two copies of this book, and it's just absolutely gorgeous. It's got original artwork that's all King-related, a lot of really cool um, icons that uh, tie back to the books. Uh, it's just really, really great. You could play a game, almost kind of like a visual game with it. Uh, and they also have um, just amazing essays about all the different movies um, by uh, a lot of writers from uh, Birth Movies Death, and uh, are including our uh, honorary loser uh, Scott Wampler, uh, who's got mm-hmm. uh, multiple uh, essays, including an interview uh, with uh, a couple of great talents in there. Um, so uh, we will have a link on our socials, but you definitely should pick this up. I haven't actually been able to finish it all uh, because. Uh, 
well, let's say I'm I'm behind on uh, my own reading. I'm still running through the Running Man, uh, so to speak. Uh, so take your time. Um, yeah, I'll take my time. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, no. Uh, if you're you know a uh, constant reader, constant listener, um, even just a lover of horror movies, you got to get this. And I will uh, will definitely be sharing the link uh, to get it if you still can. I, might, they might actually be gone at this point. So uh, everything I just said would be irrelevant. But um, well, at least a listener can be very jealous and wonder yes. the rest of their lives. Yes. Yeah, what would my life have been like if I'd been able to pick this up? <laughs> yeah. And knowing that we experienced it. Well, if you ever visit our office uh, over here in uh, Chicago, uh, Illinois, uh, you'll be able to read a copy. Uh, and in addition to stare at a little few, a cute little Funko uh, items, I'm, we're currently looking for the shining ones. Uh, I have Wendy Torrance, and I have not been able to find Jack. Left little Danny on the shelf because uh, it just seems you know kind of irrelevant. But uh, love the carry one. Haven't been able to find uh, either Pennywise. Um, you got yet. a little uh, Roland down here too. We do have a little Roland. We don't have a Man in Black, and I know, I, and I, and I have a reason for that. Didn't really like his portrayal in the movie, and don't feel the need to own him on a. But you're a, a big, you're a big fan of Shelley Duvall in The Shining. I am. You can't stop talking about well, it. Well, I, I really do love her performance in that movie, and she really gave it all because uh, Kubrick was incredibly abusive. And um, you know what can I say? Uh, everyone will really gave uh, killer performances and they don't have a Scatman Crothers figure yet so can't oh. what if it was just a picture of, of, of him lying in bed or like a funk of him in bed and like that huge nude that huge, portrait yeah. behind him <laughs> Funko it's like floating it's over. Funko over. It's a Funko and it's a Funko <laughs> a Funko <laughs> portrait yeah. and a portrait <laughs> no. you know I'm definitely someone who's like let's not shit on people for having fun but I hate hate the Funko figures. Really? Oh, yeah. I hate them. I hate how ubiquitous they are. They're I everywhere. I hate how they look. I hate how much money they cost. Yeah. Well, not no, a fan. We were going to give you a, a set from the Mangler, but <laughs> the you're Mangler. not going to get it now. So, Mike, you get to take it home. Oh, I will. Great Robert England figure. Uh, I, I, will blue s- eye. I will say I agree uh, in the sense that I don't like the majority of them, but when they do actually nail kind of the look of whatever they're trying to adapt... They do look really cool. Like, I, I even like how, like, Wendy Torrance has, like, the eyes. Um, the there's, like, a lot of, like, up, sleep, kind of. The, the socks are bunched up. Like, the eyes are really, like, like worn out. Um, the Carrie's got, like, really cool, uh, like, blood on her. I, 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 there's some that I do like. I like the, I, I prefer the actual figures that, that uh, Funko makes where they look like old uh, 80s figures. They did it for the Twin Peaks, which is amazing. I didn't even open it out of the, the box because the box looks so mm-hmm. amazing. And they did it for uh, Stranger Things, and I'm hoping they do it for it. And uh, um, I don't think we need one for the Dark Tower, but um, it would be great if uh, we got little Gerald's game figures to figurines too. Um, oh, God. Which, uh, you probably could make some out. Yeah. Uh, I, I hope they make a Carl Strickland one. Uh, but uh, I think that's a good seg into what are we going to do next year? Well... Did you call me Jerry? Jerry. <laughs> Jerry. Jerry. Um, listen, we got some more stuff to talk about. It's not really news related. It's a pretty big episode. Um, well, for instance, I read Sleeping Beauty. So oh, yeah. Let's not get to Gerald's game yet. Let's talk about that. Yeah, we'll talk about a little Sleeping Beauty. Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like 
filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to Factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at Factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Um, I haven't really talked to anybody about this. I've been reading this on and off for the last 10 days. It's a very, very long book. He power read it, everybody, for for everyone that listens. this podcast, I jumped right into it. I think it was about 10 days ago on a Saturday. I had friends in town over the weekend with their family. I was busy for three days. Justin. I uh, bled for this book. I bled for this podcast. What can I say? I didn't sleep for seven days straight. Much like some of the women in Sleeping Beauties. Mm. That's a little teaser. Well, before Any questions I, you guys have about Sleeping Beauties? So I don't want to. I don't want to get into spoiler territory. Obviously, yeah, because we're gonna have an in-depth episode in about five years. Yeah, so. by, I think by our math, it's like May 2020. We'll be able to get to Sleeping Beauties. <laughs> hey, that's before uh, we get to see the new uh, Star Wars movie by J.J. Abrams. I that's think. right. Well, no, wait, that's 2019. Never mind. We'll, we'll, we'll make sure to talk about the Star Wars Episode Nine and Sleeping Beauties in the same episode. Oh, that'd be good. But uh, yeah, so I've I've read Sleeping Beauties. Okay. What would you like to know about Sleeping Beauties? <laughs> I can tell you about Sleeping Beauties. And I'll give my little I'll give you my Pennywise clown notes at the very end. No, you're not allowed to do that for these. But Why not? Give you my no, personal no, one. You could do you could do personal. I'll give my personal one. You could do that one. All right. Um, so all right, go for it. You go, Mel. Was Owen's presence marked and different Ooh. and noticeable? That's a very good question. Now I read again, this is a seven hundred page book, and we've been reading so much King recently, I was really looking for it. There were a couple times here and there where there would be mentions of real recent pop culture or slang, which I felt like... I mean, King is pretty up-to-date on pop culture, I feel, but I still thought this seems a little more young, or at least youngish. And in addition to that, there were several woke moments that really read... Woke? uh, King Stephen is not woke, so... Well, I'll say this, though... This is easily the most, even though it's called Sleeping Beauties, it's the most woke Stephen King you'll, you'll ever read in your life. Uh, I'll say that at times there's a lot of overcompensation where it almost makes him out to kind of seem neckbeardish. Like at the very, very, I'm not kidding, like the last maybe 30 pages or so, 40 pages, there's this like allusion to like the guilt this cop feels for shooting an African-American and it kind of permeates like the last couple pages of the book. I'm like, well, yeah, this it just seems very shoehorned in. Um, I don't want to get too many spoilers here, but yeah, that's that's one thing. But Mike, yeah, Mike, uh, where does um, the Fiora, Fauna, and Meriwether fit into uh, this story? Sorry, guys, I saw you over there. I'm sure you're googling <laughs> Sleeping Beauty. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mike's a good question. Long story short, um, one uh, morning, women don't wake up. And what happens is this kind of cocoon fabric, silky uh, cloth covers their face. And if you mess with it, the women will kind of wake up in a zombie state and kill you. So people learn early on not to do that. And most of the story is about um, what happens when all that is left on the planet are just a bunch of men who are confused and angry. Um, so they don't wake up at all. They don't. Well, there's a there's a little bit of a twist in that, but in our world, they do not wake up at mm-hmm. all throughout the throughout most of the book. I so I bought the book. I haven't okay. read a lot of it. I've read like the first ten pages. Oh, okay, but okay. it opens with a very like 
epic cast of characters. And mm. you get the sense that, I mean, it's very much the scope is going to be very big. This is the first time, as you can probably test this too, Mel, there's actually an index of characters before the book start. Wow, this is like Catch-22. It's cr- I mean, and listen, King has written some long stories before. And as somebody who read this entire book in 10 days, I can't say it enough, there are way too many characters in this book. It takes place in a small West Virginia town. And there are like 80 times the amount of characters that are like the stand. <laughs> Ugh. And I mean, I'm not kidding. Like characters start to blend together. So you're saying like we have to hang out with a bunch of West Virginians? Well, yeah, that's a the bunch other of thing. West Virginian uh, men. That's I, they really wanted to hammer home the point of like what happens when like men are at their worst. No offense to all of our West Virginia listeners <laughs> no. out there. No, um, as, as someone who has family a, in Virginia, it's just uh, yeah, it's unnecessary. It's an interesting setting. This but is again, like, like a trend that's happening. I feel like there was a book that just came out um, by Brian Evanson and one of the writers of The Purge called Feral, oh. and it's about men. Going feral and like. Does it take place in uh, West Virginia? No, I don't think so. <laughs> but, but still, it, yeah. but it's very much just like I, I feel like there's this thing now, like you're saying, people are trying to be woke and yeah, about toxic yeah. masculinity. And <laughs> listen, I mean, there is sometimes where there's like people actually say out loud, like you know, you really shouldn't say that word and and this and that going on that like during like big action sequences. And you're like, what is going on? It, it, it reads like uh, somebody on Facebook saying how they did somebody a big favor and they're like champions and stuff like that. Does it read like a gimmick? Like, wow, I got my kid Eventually here. Eventually it does. But for the most part, because a lot of it you're reading and you're, like, this is, there's some really good symbolism going on. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a character named Evie who plays a huge part in it. We don't know if she's a woman, if she's some entity, if she's the one that caused all of this. Uh, you meet her pretty early on in the book, so that's not really a spoiler. She's definitely the central part of the of the story, and she drives, a, and she drives the guys crazy in terms of, like you said, Mike, like, like, is, what's the point of this? Like, what's happening? Mm-hmm. Um, there is some. There's a lot. Of, I mean, there, listen. There's a lot of symbolism throughout, and it definitely gets hammered home, especially is near it, the end. Is it a book about gender? Like, is it trying to be a book about <laughs> yes, gender? <laughs> absolutely. It's 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 one of those things. You look at it. I will give them this thing though. Again, like, even though it's all the women are asleep. It's absolutely a book about women. Hmm. Um, I should say some women are awake and um, during the book, but it's definitely it's either you look at both ways. It's a book about it's a book about men that's all about women, and it's a book all about women that's about men. Does it answer the question what do women want? It does. There's actually a big sequence in the middle of it. Um, Big riots about to happen, and Clint Norcross, who's the doctor and one of the main characters of the book, um, he and his son Jared are kind of trying to figure out what to do next. And Jared has Netflix. Now, as wait, far wait, as are I, you being serious? I'm being deadly serious. Now, Netflix, <laughs> as far as I know, um, in our world, Netflix does not have what women want. But no. in this world, in this King universe, it does. So they pop it on, they watch the film, have a good time, and they get right to the... Oh I was God. bullshitting that entire time. I, I was going to say. I really um, thought I might have had you for about 10 no, seconds. No, no, no. I, I actually did believe there was Netflix in this universe of uh, Sleeping Beauties. But um, I guess one other question I have is, uh, is it even remotely scary? There, it's not supposed to be scary. No. I would say that it's definitely more of a um, the cover a, makes it look like, like a fantastic. It's like more of a fantasy novel uh, in a lot of ways. I'm out, but no, but not like <laughs> I, I already know which episode I'm not going to be on. <laughs> but no, it's 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 fantasy in terms of like what happens to people. But I don't want to get into too many spoilers. But like what happens to people is not there's not a lot of fantasy going. Yeah. It's not like a big fantasy element in that regard. It's this is not Game of Thrones or something like that. Because yeah, like it took me like about five love, months to read Fellowship of the Ring. Because it's, it's not. Been, no, oh, don't get me wrong. Fantasy is in, it's like a supernatural fantasy. That's okay. Kind of thing. Okay. That that element to it. It's not a horror novel at all. Some horrific things happen, obviously, but it's not it's not a horror novel. So, hmm. 
Did you like it? That's a great question, though. Here's the thing. This is definitely one of those books that, as you're reading it, it's all going to depend on how it ends. Because there, there was a lot of really good characters. There was a lot of really good storytelling. There's some good elements here and there. I will say near one of the final chapters was actually very surprising. The ending was kind of surprising. I'll give it that. But at the end of the day, I mean, it just overstuffed. Way too many characters. Some villains are kind of brought to the forefront with about maybe 100 pages left. Uh, I no, wonder if that's a consequence need. of having two writers. That and they said that they traded off back and forth. Yeah. So I feel like you know one goes in, they're like, "Let's do this." There was some rewriting going on, but at the same time, it's tough to to write a book together. I mean, I, I do love actually the Talisman and the Black House and and that oh, Gwendy's did box. with them, and that was that was a good novella, you know. Yeah. And again, I feel like the other thing is this story also would work much better if it was a series. No, like half of its length. Oh, That's wow. why I thought it was short because I was thinking of Gwendy's bun box. Yeah, and then I picked it up and it's like he turns to the left. He looks spine. Yeah, I I, I was Too actually long. surprised because I went to a Barnes and Noble recently <laughs> to look for more Funko Pops and uh, and <laughs> Mel's just, just left. No, I, They're bleeding you dry, Mike. I, they know I, that, you, I, that you're going to spend all the money. I got my Wendy. <laughs> I got to find your Funko Pop. Uh, no, I needed. I really want this Jack Torrance one, and it, I, he's like one of my favorite characters. I just, I fucking got to get this Funko Pop. I've been waiting forever for them to make any any f- action figure of Jack Torrance. I started but, joking, and now I'm honestly uh, worried about you. No, I am. I, I am. It's pretty bad. I, I like randomly because I couldn't find Jack Torrance a few weeks ago. I, I bought like a Sheriff Hopper from Stranger Things as like a you know to supplement my need. Oh, I was like, oh, that'll do it. And then I like ran out there going. Well, like, are you sure it wasn't just like a, a David Hop, uh, David Harbor character from the Equalizer movie? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, Wait, Mike, I'm sorry to tell you that these are all Sam Neill. Oh my god. It's Sam Neill in a Carrie prom dress. Um, oh, that would be great though. Wait, do you only buy them like legit? Like you have to find it in the store. Yeah. You're not going on eBay. No, I don't like to go on eBay. Same for with that. Uh, so like, he looks for his uh, old king uh, first, books. first uh, first editions too. Yeah, you know, I I I did buy uh, I did I did buy one uh oh I tried to buy the Dance Macabre online a huh. uh, first edition and it never came. Um, mm. And so that was like that was the only time I was like, nope, I'm well, done. You know what you get? You get a nice Sleeping Beauty's first edition. Uh, that's true, actually. Because, uh, yeah, I don't know if I'm ever going to read it again. To be perfectly honest with you, uh, based on the, your uh, not so stellar review, I'm not really looking forward to this episode. And it's funny, I was thinking about this decade with King, and you know, he's 70 years old, and I still really like the Wind Through the Keyhole, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved Revival. That is, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. that one. You want to talk about? Yeah, I haven't read it. A story about my, I, I was blown away by that book. Uh, I'm sure I think what else he's written this decade. And uh, you've got 122263 Mercedes stuff. Oh, 11-22-63 was this was this decade? That's a great book. And Mel, I just you made a good point about Miss Mercedes, as you know, Miss Mercedes, arguably my least favorite Stephen King book. Firekeeper is slightly better. I've not read in the end of watch, but um, Doctor Sleep. God, God, yeah, this has not Sleep. been a good decade. Listen, because it honestly, started out strong. It did, it did, and again, revival was years later and really great. Um, King's King is working on something else. I think he's actually finished something else that's going to be coming out next year. Mm-hmm. So we'll wait and see. But here's one of the situations. To too. Which, this is one of the situations though for me. Once again, we talk about this all the time with 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 rock. With, I mean, with artists from whatever genre. Is once you have made a great novel or a great song or a great album, like you're good, you're good for me. For oh no, he's Every, dead. everything else is a bonus. So basically, even if the, even if the rest of King's years are, oh, and I like Joyland. Sorry. 
I like Joyland. There you go. That's another one. Joyland's good too. So he's up and down. He's up and down. You know, he's getting older. It's amazing that he's able to be that way this late in there. They, they, blah, this late <laughs> in the game. No, but if you really think about it, like I, I like I recently just bought eleven twenty two from my grandmother who's ninety three years old and she's bedridden and she can't go anywhere and she just recently got Facebook and this is a woman who grew up in the Great Depression that was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. You've got to read eleven twenty two. You've got to read eleven twenty two sixty three only because I think that she would enjoy the idea of like time traveling back to this era that she clearly lived through and I just thought there would be some sort of nostalgia tied to it and she's loving it so far um, and I was looking through just flipping through the pages because it's my favorite of his books actually um, outside of Pet Cemetery, um, just because I love that as a the horror book but 1122 is, is a genius masterpiece like I, I really think it's mm. just a perfect book and I cannot believe it was written this late in the game for him yeah. and, and once even, again listen we, we easily could have lost him what 18, 17 years ago yeah so everything books. has been a bonus for the 21st century yeah. when it comes to King. Yeah. Um, again, my honestly, like Sleeping Beauties two, Broadway, two. Broadway, two. It's wow. bad. It's, it's just not. It's not worth the journey. God oh man, damn, it's sitting on my nightstand. It's so big. Yeah. It's a little clumsy. I mean, it's an interesting read. Like I said, especially when you're reading all these 70s, 80s kind of the depiction of certain sexes and races, you know. But in this book, it's very. It's like pretty divvied up. I was very surprised with how um, diverse it is, and uh, I'll I'll give it I will give it that I will give it that. But entertaining, uh, it was it was a it was a hell to read well, like seven hundred pages in ten days. I wonder, of a I mean, I'm wondering if maybe that will like it more without the pressure of having oh, to read like, it in oh. ten days. But you know, I was able to definitely. You know, it's not. It wasn't that. Are there, much of a slot. Are there enough echoes in this book though to King's works? That like where you could actually kind of like feel like this is a Stephen King book. Yes, okay, that's a good question. Like protagonists um, and antagonists. Well, I and... thought about the entire time was um, two stories. I thought about Storm of the Century, mm. the miniseries he wrote, and the other one. What was the other one? I oh, eleven. I thought about Under the Dome. Oh, which is also a late aughts book mm-hmm. because it's very confined to one area and yeah. people are kind of stuck in an area. And with Storm of the Century, there's a character named Lenoge in that, and who's in a prison cell for a lot of that story. And Evie Black is in a prison cell for a lot of this story. Um, yet they're still, like, commanding pretty much everything going on hmm. throughout a lot of it. I mean, the, the tenets of, like, Kingisms, are, I guess, are there. Okay. I definitely say it. it feels like a Stephen King book, for better or worse. Does it read like a Stephen King book? It does. Well, it does. That, I that's say that too. And that, that goes back to the earlier question, Mel, is it was very it was tough to figure out most of the time if this was Owen or if this was Stephen. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll say that. Or if it was uh, Joe. <laughs> Joe came in and did some ghostwriting. He's like, he's Tabby like, uh, came in, Tabitha. What are my brothers up to? What, what, what is uh, my brother and dad up to? Uh, Side yeah. note, um, Joe Hill's got a uh, book coming out for yep. novellas called Strange Strange Weather, I think, something mm-hmm. like that. Oh, I think it is Strange Weather. Yeah, so I'm definitely going to check that it's out. good name. That should be good. I That's like Joe name. Hill. Sounds like a Pete Yorn album. Strange weather. <laughs> yeah. Listen, everybody out there, if, I'm sure a lot of you have been reading Sleeping Beauties or finished it. Please let us know what you think. Uh, maybe you liked it more than I did. If you did, you know what? That's fine. Two noser. That's Jesus. fine, but two noses. Disappointing. Too long. There's a good story in there. Too bloated. Too bad. <sighs> too bad. Too bloated. Well, uh, good news. <laughs> we have so much stuff in the Stephen King universe. It doesn't matter. We're gonna forget. Right. We're gonna forget this conversation ever happened. I, I'm about to start Seriously. the gunslinger like probably tonight, uh, and there we go again. You know, yeah. cause a wheel. Cause is a wheel. My reading cycle is a wheel, apparently. And you could just hop on Netflix and see Gerald's game. 
This is gonna be good for us, Jess, really good. That's a marriage, isn't it? Working on the difficult things. For better or worse. Let's go in, get comfy. You think your husband will be back any minute? Try to go for help. There's no one for miles. Um, Gerald? I'm sorry, baby. You don't get to know my name. I don't like this. I'm serious. Stop. I don't like that. Stop it! Mike, that's a fantastic transition. <laughs> Let's talk about Gigi. And I'm not talking about. You can also check out another Gigi, Gilmore Girls, on Netflix. Oh, we'll that's talk true. about Gerald's game. Mel, I'm really happy you're in this episode because of the three of us. I have some questions for you. Great. Because you are, of the three of us, you're the only person that's actually read the book, Gerald. Oh, that's I love it so much. So, we don't, I, selfishly, I don't want to get into too many spoilers with the book. Well, we're going oh, to we're, do, we're going to do a little split zone, split film. Oh, we'll do a spoiler thing later? Okay. Yeah. But, okay, right off the bat, what, um, this is the non spoiler. This, no, this is the non spoiler. We'll let you know when the spoilers game. start. Yeah, look, mm-hmm. look on your iPhone or whatever you're listening to, and it'll say X amount, you know, mm-hmm. this is what we're going to. In the spoils. There's actually a lot to spoil. We gotta be there, careful. Yeah. There's yeah. like <laughs> we'll, we'll be careful. We'll be yeah. careful. Um, what were the major changes in the movie? Don't don't say what happens in the book. But what were the changes <laughs> from the book into the movie? You can you can say that. Like no, in terms, like, in terms okay. of like the like how the, the, the plot device. I have a certain question. We'll about probably go into more specific detail. I think in this in the spoiler I mean, section. I can say like what reviews have said. Right. Yeah. Basically. Yes. Sure. Sure. I think. Um, so everyone knows the scenario here. You know, she's stuck, handcuffed to the bed. I think one of the major differences that some people, including me, weren't too keen on was uh, were the interactions she has with these projections from inside her mind hmm. while she's handcuffed to the bed um, in that she's constantly kind of talking to um, both Phantom Gerald and like a version of herself. And I don't know if I should get into my opinion or what, but that's a change that's from a the change. book. Okay, yeah. well, if, if assuming the changes are too spoilery, we can wait until later on for that. But we'll kind of treat this as we treat yeah. our books in a much more compact discussion. Yeah. Hopefully it won't be three hours long. She she does talk to herself in the book. Mm-hmm. There's no, I don't think there's a Phantom Gerald to the extent wow. that there is in the movie. No. Well, well, we'll we'll get into that in a second. But we're, how do you want to kick this particular discussion off, Mike? Well, let's just give our overall thoughts on the film. Uh, for okay. just to, you know, for those that have you know haven't seen it yet, we'll you know maybe we'll just like motivate them or not motivate them to mm-hmm. just kind of want want to watch it or you know. I think it's um, on Netflix. It's so like, not really kick, that hard. To, I'll kick it off. I guess I'll kick it off. All you um, got to do is push play. Well, it doesn't matter anyway. <laughs> there's no excuse. <laughs> Uh, our good loser, um, Dan Caffrey, was able to check out Gerald's Game yeah. in Texas and 1922. He, he loved both of them. Yeah. So I was getting a little more excited as time marched on and the, the reviews started to come out. I was getting more optimistic. Again, I'd never read the book. Went in very blind to what this movie was going to be. Uh, I think this is, I think this is easily Mike Flanagan's best movie. No, oh, yeah, Before it's done. That have been released at least. Mm-hmm. I was stunned pretty much throughout um, it's hard to do one, to do a single story that takes place in one room, essentially with one, well, you know, with one person, basically the choices, I guess the, the differences from between the book to the movie, apparently were, were the right ones. I thought just and certain there aren't cuts, many, like yeah. it's incredibly in terms of the faithful. presentation of, yeah. of, we'll talk about the spoilers. Well, this might be actually an instance where being too faithful kind of is a detriment. to the And I'll get to that too. Yeah. Um, I think, it's it's still very minimal. There is very. I think there's there is pretty much no score until the very end. Oh yeah. No. The sound design. I don't know who did it. 
it's incredible. You'll hear like like kind of like wind design, like wind throughout every once in a while, like especially when things are getting amped up. There are no jump scares, but I was it was intense throughout, and I, and I still jumped. Yeah, throughout. Scary. Just certain cuts to well, a lot of this is gonna be spoiler territory. <laughs> oh, there are um, scary parts. The climax. I couldn't believe what I was looking at. Um, <laughs> I, I, I had like a, a very, I, I had to watch my computer. We were yeah. at a screening, which is, which is great, but I was turning away. Yeah. And we pride ourselves on having watched a lot of horror movies in the Lucius club, but I was looking at things that I couldn't believe that they were doing it. And yeah. I couldn't believe it was actually happening. Um, I had a very visceral response. I think so visceral that I was convinced it was like a dream. Yeah, it mm-hmm. was. It's just super surreal at points. Grotesque. Yeah. It was very grotesque. I think there is some very very sensitive material uh, in this movie that was handled poorly. For instance, in my opinion, in a movie like Split, um, con- concerning what, what's her name actually? What's Carl Gugino's name in the movie? Jesse. Jesse. Sorry, mm-hmm. Jesse's uh, past. That is is that could have easily just been brushed over like in three second flashbacks, but they really spend time with those flashbacks and really flesh it out. They'll just make it some cheap device. They really extended, yeah, which I really loved a lot. Movie looks great. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some really fantastic images, especially on um, during those dream sequences. I even mentioned. Um, I don't know. Do we, do, we, do we save this for the spoilers or there's a, she starts seeing some things that may or may not be real. Yeah. That really frightened me. I'll say the, that much. The first introduction of, of certain the, <laughs> this certain thing. Yes. Made me recoil yes. on the couch. Physically. And yeah. I was watching with my brother's fiance and we, it was late at night. Um, and, we both just <gasps> were you guys like, familiar with that device when going into it? No. Cause I was, and yeah. I was terrified just from the beginning, knowing that yeah. like they might incorporate it. Just the way it, the, the way it materializes. The is so I, I like looked over and it was weird. Cause I don't know if for me, when I, I Chromecast or, or mm-hmm. not Chromecast, Apple TV, mine, uh, my stream and the, the darkness looked really weird. It looked kind of almost like metallic in a weird mm-hmm. way. I don't know if that was like a choice in the original movie. I have to go back and watch the actual Netflix stream to see what it was. But the the color mix was really odd so that when he does materialize, it just felt like it reminded me of like graphics from like NES in a weird way. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden it becomes this well, real Because you're questioning thing. what you're looking at. Yeah, which is exactly again, how you see it in a darkness. I can't darkness. say this enough. There's no sting. No. There's no music sting. It just, the scene there. just happens. And you're just staring, but kind of like, what am I looking at here? Am I looking at something here? It reminds me of like uh, as a kid when you'd stare oh at my the God, closet. Definitely. Yeah. And I feel like that's what this book tapped into for me, yeah. too. And it was exactly how the book scared me. I did not expect to be scared in the same way that the book scared me. But yeah. it's this universal thing where you're looking at a certain place in a dark room. And that's why it sticks with you, too, because we all go to bed at night and then yeah. you're thinking about this fucking movie. And you're in bed like she is. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of dark out and the sun. And they, and the they really pulled it off. Uh, but yeah, well, Mel, keep going with your overall impressions of the film. Oh, I should also say I really liked it a lot, but we'll get back to it later. I mean, you said stunned. I think dude. we're all going to want to talk about. We'll save the end for, for the, the spoiler, spoiler space. But yeah, um, Mel, what were your overall impressions and your, your likes and dislikes? I, re- I really enjoyed it. It was such a pleasant surprise to enjoy it as much as I did. Um, although I, we, I did read some early reviews and I was very hopeful. Um, I thought that the adaptation 
was very faithful, um, mostly, I think, to good effect. Um, it's so hard to talk without spoilers. Um, <laughs> I, I, going to the flashbacks, too, I think there are just choices that could have been made in today's day and age that a lot of other directors or writers would have made, but they stuck to the book's narrative, and I think that was a really like really good choice and a really brave choice. Um, cause I think that there, there could have been ways to kind of like punch something up or make it more severe and that I, I had anticipated this movie would do, but they didn't do that. They stuck to the original story and I was very happy to see that they did that. And I think I agree. They treated sensitive material very well. Um, the dreamlike stuff, um, all the stuff with the eclipse that's mentioned in reviews. I don't think that's a spoiler. Mm-hmm. Um, was really cool. Just the, like the red filter they yeah. use for those sequences mm-hmm. is awesome. Um, I'll get into this more, but I, I, if I have any complaints, they're kind of just like I think we wanted to be longer <laughs> a little bit. I wanted more isolation. There was too much talking. Hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree on that. Um, I, I thought that she starts seeing um, the visions a little too soon. Mm-hmm. I would have liked a lot uh, if we could have gotten that that realization of like, oh my gosh, like this. The t- let the terrorists sit in a little bit yeah. by just having the silence and just knowing that like there is nobody there. I mean, I know that they do a really good. I mean, they do a good job of just showing like the Phantom Gerald being able to talk to her and be like oh remember you know you had i had the gardener come and you know yeah. they chopped the lawn blah, blah, blah. Well, and also the physical like, uh, aspect of it i never kind of felt that they drove that home in a way that no. made me feel sore or made me feel like oh my god what would it be like only the moment where she wakes up the next morning and she has and that was it like yeah. that was like i was like oh god that would hurt mm-hmm. but immediately within like two minutes she's like well back to normal and yeah, like let yeah. me try to lift this up um yeah, that, that that was, you know, it's That's interesting because I actually really liked. I thought he really pulled off the a lot of the dialogue. No, 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 the, he- dial- the, the heavy, the heavy narration. No, no, I like that. I'm talking more about. I would have. I think you, you you wish there was more time before yes. you start seeing. The, yeah, or in between. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. more gotcha. aloneness and more yeah. of the like. What would it be like to? have nothing there and to feel myself stretched out like this. Like I, not to spoil the ending too much, but everything that takes place literally in the last five to seven minutes of this movie, yeah. even maybe even 10 minutes, I can't remember exactly how long it is. I think it's only like five or seven minutes, yeah. but it seems longer. I would take out that entire thing. No question. And just use that extra time to pad with what you're saying with like having it in between so that you get that sort of endurance. Yeah. That yeah. you get some of that sort of like, Oh my God, she's been here for this long. She's this dehydrated. She's, you know, she, the, her arms are actually, you could see the skin starting to get worn out. Maybe yeah. even do some sort of like Aronofsky esque, like, like close ups where you just see like the skin yeah. just rubbing and you I think know, it's a problem that I was never know? bored. Like, yeah. I want to be yeah. a little bored yeah. by like just being there. Yeah. Like, nothing is happening. And like, she goes to sleep all the time and we get more and more stuff. And I'm like, just show yeah. me her there. Yeah. The wind stuff, like you mentioned, I hadn't even noticed. Like, they should just transpose that sort of sound design onto like what's actually happening. Yeah, yeah, it's true. That's I agree. True. Um, yeah, I, I I was blown away by the performances in this movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I've I've always you know respected Carlo Gugino and I've and especially Bruce Greenwood. Um, but Jesus, like I I was really really shocked at their performances here, and especially like you know Gugino's like the She's way that she super, deals with yeah. trauma and like the 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 way that she conveys all her personal demons without being so explicit about it. And, and her way of just be kind of shifting from different roles uh, also mm. was, was really intense. 
Um, but the chemistry with Greenwood was great. You know, kudos to King for recommending uh, uh, Brucey Boy. Um, he recommended him. Yeah, cool. Yeah, that came from one of his uh, one of his uh, recommendations. And, and you know, Mike, on that, I think this is an example of if this was not a Netflix film, if this was supposed to be like a big budget movie. We would not have got yeah. Bruce Greenwood. We would no. not have got Carl Cugino. No. So this is a definitely a case of I'm happy it went straight to Netflix. Probably would have got like, two superior performances. Probably got yeah. like Freddie Prince Jr. and Sarah Michelle Gellar or something. <laughs> so, <laughs> Another, oh, it's just about the um, the personalities talking. I yeah. love the way they would cut so that you'd kind of be focusing on one. I don't know if it was a spoiler, but like the way they do the cuts between like the yeah. personalities talking and they'll kind of be in two places at once was like yes. so well, cool. Yeah. And, and there were times even during those when... That would scare me. Yeah. Certain yeah. cuts of belly, you'd be talking to, again, the vision of Gerald, like over here in the corner, all of a sudden, he'd be right in your face. Yeah. yeah. That kept you off balance, I felt, the entire yeah. time. And I thought that that's what, I mean, that really, really worked well for me. Well, he also does, angle. he does a really good job, Flanagan does a really good job at making us feel like we're in the eyes of an unreliable narrator, for sure. Oh, yeah. You know, there are so many moments where I absolutely feel like, this is another delusion. Like this is another, like, I mean that entire second half, I started wondering like, did she just die ran, you know, mm. previously? Like, are, are we going to be in another dream? Is this another, you know, situation where she's just going to zoom back and she's still on the bed? And, you know, so the, I, the, the, the plotting in that design and to, to kind of understand that feeling of where her mental state is, I think is really good. Um, but yeah, I mean, for me, it's, it's a film that was working so well for itself that by the, once it makes that really sharp, sharp, sharp turn mm-hmm. into this act that obviously is in the book, um, but God, it doesn't make sense in this movie. Like it really doesn't make sense in this movie. And it, it just like totally takes you out. I mean, my, 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 again, my brother's fiance was just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, why, why are we talking about this? And who in their right mind ever thought that we needed to have a, a seven minute exposition related, like, like, epilogue. like epilogue, like voiceover narration. I mean, that's worse than the original Blade Runner. Like it was just like, it's very strange. I, I could not believe this was like the Seattle Seahawks, uh, Marshawn Lynch oh, situation the, 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 where the, the you interception and yes, Malcolm Butler interception. You are at the line. You are, you, this is, <laughs> it's, your, over. it's over. You You've did done it. the movie. This it. is it. And then they managed to fuck it up. You like threw that late. So I, you know, what, you know what I thought about Mike. Um, again, I, we'll get into another comparison I want to make later too. Um, but I, I always think I compared this to American History X. Mm. I think oh, American yeah. History X is an incredible movie with a totally unnecessary epilogue. I agree. Yeah, and I kept thinking about that when I think about Gerald's Game. Uh, and in I both regards, I think that I don't think it overall like. I still really like the movie a lot. I do too. Yeah, it, it knocks it down a little bit though for me. Sure. Oh, definitely. But not. I, I still really—it's it, tough to explain without getting the spoilers. Which right. We, once again, we'll get into it later. I do think the movie needs an epilogue. Yeah, but, but I, I, I just feel like the extension and the way it was presented. Yeah, I don't. I don't think this was a good one. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Without getting too spoilery, I I feel like first off the there's nothing about that epilogue to me that. Reads, rings true for this story, um, if only because it it seems so forced that like they needed like he needed to make these statements to give some sort of like th- to add more empowerment 
to a character who already had it. Yeah, just tie it up in a bow. Yeah, and like that whole... Uh, gotta, <laughs> we got to get into our spoiler. You got to get into the spoiler thing. There are a lot of those same elements yeah. that kind of crept into Sleeping Beauties. Oh, where, really? Where points get hammered home as opposed to just being kind of yeah. presented, you know? And I think that uh, is definitely representative in Gerald's game. Well, I will... Shockingly let, so. Let's give our, our rankings to the noses and then get into spoilers. Sure. After this. Uh, who wants to go first? Out of the, out of the out five, of five. Yeah. Out of five. Mm. Oh my gosh. It's so hard because like you said, that epilogue, I, I just, know. I don't know yeah. how much it knocks it down. It, yeah. so my initial thought was 3.75. Whoa, whoa, <laughs> whoa. We're, we're unprecedented territory. We're in the quarter points. Ooh, quarter noses. I like that. Is that allowed? I sure. think so. Yeah. Go for it. We do the average. It probably ends up like 3.6. I, I just, I mean, just, I feel like I've been a little too generous sometimes in the past and four is, is a big deal. And 3.5 doesn't feel like enough for how much I enjoyed the movie. Yeah. yeah. I mean, this reminded me of those 90s rentals that I, I would absolutely be floored to yeah. rent again and again and again, uh, whether it would be sleepovers or just on, on a rainy day. But for me, yeah, it's like I, it's got to be 3.5 for me. Mm-hmm. It, this would have easily been a four noser um, or even a 4.5 noser, depending on how they landed this. And let's just say when things start uh, resolving, it just goes haywire. It's not even resolving. Like, it's resolved itself, and <laughs> yeah. it decides to do something else. Yeah. It's almost like Twin Peaks, the finale, and we'll talk about it later on. Um, for me, it was just the story itself was too good, and I, I, was, I was just floored. I was floored. The journey. The journey. And even the destination. I mean, again, again the movie ends mm-hmm. before the second ending. You know, it's, it's, it's like the Return of the King. It's like three endings to Return of the King. It was. Like, yeah, and they like, do the um, first ending, I think, very well. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> the first ending, terrific. And then they, they botch, like, the pre-credits, the pre-post-credits <laughs> sequence or whatever. Um, but I'm going to give it, I think it's the best Stephen King thing to come out so far this year. I'm going to give it four Bright Red Penny. Even over it. Just, wow. Even over it. Oh, my um, God. Oh, I do think it was better than it. I thought I didn't it was better it, than it. But I thought it was better than it. I thought... Um, Crazy. I thought it was scarier than it by a long shot. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I was more, I was more, I thought this movie was more intense than it. I, I, I really liked it a lot. I liked it. Yeah. I'm saying it a lot, but hold on. I really liked it, the movie, but I thought this was really solid. And, um, I, I, I think it's up there in my all, all time Kingers. I mean, what can I say? Probably my top wow, 10 Even with that ending. Even with the ending. Nah, it can't be for me. It's like, it's, 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 my, it's like, my American History X. It's a really hard good. movie to pull off, considering I, the work that it's doing yeah. with the material it's it, dealing exactly. with. Exactly. The, en- the ending to me is the red dot on Elaine's uh, sweater in the Seinfeld episode, <laughs> in the cashmere sweater. Oh, you have to return it. Where once you've you seen that, you're just like, oh, they're, can't it, do it. I just, I can't do it. Like, it, it sucks because I agree, like, about halfway through, I remember just turning you know, to Kayla and just being like, this is amazing. Like, this is so good. Like, I cannot believe this. And uh, I, I just, I that just gave it a half more. star more than both. It's like, it's like a good, like, I know, five I know stars. you didn't, but um, I gave it 0.25 more than Mel. I just think of that ending for it, though, and just be like, oh, man, he knows how to, he landed that. And then, like, ah, but anyway, we'll, we'll talk about how, it, anyway, that's all our discussion if he landed let's, it. But let's, uh, let's get into spoiler territory. Let's go into some spoiler territory. Sake. So, so. we have a little bumper do you want to put in here so we can have a I'm little break. I'm trying to think. Let's, uh, I was going to say, what are some, like, things that change? Oh, the Viagra, I guess? No, that doesn't make really make much Let's sense. Let's put in, like, a, a, a snippet from the Gerald's game. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Uh, here it comes. Here's the trailer. Speech here from Gerald comes. Ford. Ooh. Yeah, I like that, actually. Gerald Ford speech. Hey, let's here listen to Gerald Ford right now. I'm Gerald Ford to talk about voting. When you elect a president, you also elect a clown who will make fun of him 
for the next four years. So while your head of state is keeping America strong and free, some joker is making his career by falling off a ladder on national TV. So make sure you cast your vote. Vote. It's no laughing matter. A reminder from Comedy Central. Who's laughing now, funny man? Great speech by Gerald Ford. I can't, can't so get enough. inspiring. Oh my God, he wow. might have been. I mean, Chevy Chase favorite. just said that he would fall down the steps, but he was so much more than and that. And I'm so glad I was really able was. to find an audio of it too. No question. Yeah. There's no question you were able to find that audio for the time. By the time you posted the episode. All right, listen. Let's get to the ending. Let's so, it. Here's the thing. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna start with the ending, really. Yeah, let's we gotta get, start. We gotta start. That's like that's sticking out like a yeah. sore sore fucking thumb. So I under I I I believe the ending. Because at the very, very, very beginning, when they're driving in their car, there's a discussion about that guy. There's a mention of, like, Burl, okay. which I hate. I hate yeah. that yeah. they put it in there. When I heard it, I was like, no. So when I first saw him, I did think he was real. Oh, that's the worst. And they would go back. We're talking again about, this is, what was his name again? The Moonlight Man, right? Something yeah, like that? The yeah, it's uh, Raymond, okay, the Raymond Andrew Jobert. Yeah. So, but during what I did like is that, if you, if you think back on it, though... Whenever you would see him through her eyes, and and he had yellow eyes, like like Legion, that was the fantasy. That was like the nightmare, the dream, like that fucking part where she wakes up and he's licking her fucking feet. He looks like well, that was a dream. That was that was a dream because he had the yellow eyes. And he looks like he looks like uh, the the enemy from uh, Legion. You know what he looks like. We talk about scary scary stories to tell in the dark. Yeah. Mm. Do you remember the Thing short story? Yes, he did remind oh, me Oh, yeah, but That's it's just the, the silhouette of... Like outside the, the, outside the, the post eyes, office, right? That is what he kept reminding me of oh. watching this, and that freaked the, it freaked the hell out of me the entire time. No, everything in the room with him is yeah. great. Okay. Great. He's, a, he's an excellent, like, enigma. Yes. Enigma, enigma. That's what he should have been. And it should have been the ad, that should all it needed to that's be all, all they needed to say was hey I can't I, you know I never found my ring again you know the, the thing like that would have been oh I didn't realize exactly. you guys objected you know. to the content of the ending and that he is real yeah no, I, I, I didn't mind that I didn't I, mind. I, I, I had a problem with the presentation sure. of of how they explained how he was real. And the whole courtroom scene. Oh, the, the courtroom end. scene is ludicrous. Honestly, that is like she just scene. walks up the steps. Yeah. She just walks in the room. Come on in. To the, pri- like to the, the prisoner. And that's when like the subtlety is just destroyed. It's like, it's it's like, like a shame play. That's exactly right. And, and you know, that's right, Mike. To go back to Sleeping Beauties, a lot of it devel- devolved into like a shame oh, play. Oh, God. I, 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 but, was, um, I was screaming at yeah. the TV going like, what are you doing? It was almost, <laughs> it reminded me of what if the original, everybody familiar with Session 9? Yes. That Ooh, ghost story. I love Maybe. Session 9. There's like a chair. In yes. and the, yeah, that's right, <laughs> yeah. right, right. Yeah. That's very right, true. Well, in the alternate ending of that, you find out that there really was just like an old homeless woman living yeah. in the place. But in the movie that we got, there is it's just yeah. it's a ghost. Right. You know, well, it's a ghost okay. well, it's or an enigma. Yeah. But it, it would be like I, I pictured the ending of this like this was the alternate ending, and we're like, thank yeah. God that didn't happen. Yeah. When you guys you know? read the book, I mean, I will say in the book there is a similar, if not identical, courtroom scene, and I always loved the moment when she. When he's when he has never spoken, but then he's he makes fun of her and says what he you're said. Not real, whatever it is, he's yeah. like, "Oh, you're only made of moonlight." Like yeah, yeah. I, I, this sort of like creepy. I remember you, and that that really creeped me out. And I wondered if they were going to put it in the movie, and they didn't. I don't think it worked. But in the book, it it worked for me. It might because I think also though at the end of this movie, again, it's like he succumbs to all of like the things in horror I don't like. You get the sweeping strings played out. It's really overlit at this point. It looks well, like they want to do like a whole lifetime. imagery. 
it's like a hallmark, but it, like it's so brightly, yeah, the courtroom's so brightly lit. It just, it's, it almost felt like this is another dream that's happening. Well, it was yeah. insane you to know? me that she's like, and now I counsel all these yeah. children <laughs> it's that like, have gone like, through the same thing, it. and just, I tell my story every day. Like I'm like, if you're gonna do that, like have her tell her story for the first time to like yeah. a support group. Yes, like don't yes. go yeah. straight to like I have 70 kid clients who have been abused, and I tell my story. <laughs> and then every it cuts day. to like her saying, you know, when I was, it's like, what is happening? What are you doing this for? It's so unnecessary. You you, it, it was like when you go to a party and someone says like, oh, hey, how you been? And I was like, yeah, I've been okay. How about you? Oh, well, I'll tell you. And then they go off on this tangent about like everything within three minutes and you're just left there like, I think I'm going to go get a drink. I'm going <laughs> to leave you with this awful story you just told me about. Um, I, I can't. I, I, there's so much in this <laughs> ending that that makes me go like. That I just cannot believe in anyone with a rational mind would have been like, yeah, let's just keep this all in. This is keep a good idea, there, sure, yeah. especially when you have like this gorgeous ending that's with the the red the 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 clips mm-hmm. back yeah. with, uh, with with her with, with her younger self with the younger the self, yeah. which is amazing. Yeah. Great ending. Yeah. Boom, end it there. No, we're gonna keep this going, and we're gonna go into yeah, like you said, Hallmark territory. I mean, like yeah. I could not. Just that whole it felt like a whole nother movie. And then yeah, like with the the whole like support group thing, it's like first off, how much time has fucking passed? Yeah, I know. At this it's like point? years yeah, later. Like, it has to be, but it doesn't make any the, sense. Well, you know, hey, listen, that's the American court system for you. Oh, yeah, it takes a long time to get things done, guys. Yeah, hey, I uh, watched the, the wire. Another, another big thing I thought about Mike, and um I won't get into the spoilers, but like the Twin Peaks thing. It's like it's like a, it's like a compact experience for like the Twin Peaks season for me. <laughs> where I am loving all of this, I'm like just end it here, and then it just goes on. And uh, like I'm so unsatisfied, like with the yeah. last episode of Twin Peaks is a very polarizing episode, but I still, I still love the season. Yeah, you know what I mean, yeah. that's how I kind of view it. Like I can't let like this. The I think Tarantino had a really good point once. He said, um, he doesn't let the the ending affect the entire movie. No, no. And sometimes there's like, when there's a great ending, even better. You know. Yeah. Yeah. But um, that's that's where I am on the movie. I, I still feel like there's so much here to recommend. And there's I, so much to love. And I, the performance is alone. It's one of the best directed King adaptations, I think. Um, like, I'm really amped to see what Mike Flanagan does next. He's doing the Haunting of Hill House thing for Netflix what? now. Yeah, oh with Carla Cugino. You guys read that? You should read that. I love Shirley that Jackson. book. Yeah. Love that um, book. So, there's such a scary scene in that book. Yeah, uh, I'm on board. Picnic. Um, I'm, on board. Um, I'm on board with, I, with Flanagan. I will definitely stand by, like, I think it's important that we learn that he's real. Mm. I can take or leave the whole, like he mocks her with her, her words. Like I'd like that in the book, but whatever. Yeah. But my problem there too was, I felt like it was so obvious the whole movie that he was real. Like, ah, I see. And I think I it's so important that you, you don't know. And I feel like he was, he was totally real from the get go almost. And I didn't think that though. I thought that there see, was, I I, thought, yeah, I thought he was fake the entire I, time. I thought, oh, you guys thought he was fake. I, I thought I he was did. supposed to be a representation for death. So, yeah, I just thought that she was losing. Well, that makes just, me yeah. very happy that you guys didn't think he was well, real. And that's the thing. Again, though, I think all you need to do is that one line with the ring. That's it. And again, I think maybe though, Mike, if we had read it beforehand, you know, we're looking at a different way. That yeah. could have been the case too. True. Well, well, the other are, thing is, I mean, this doesn't spoil anything for the book, and it goes back to my problem with the movie in general. We only get one interaction with him before the final one and he in the book comes back a couple times mm. and I think that's so important to kind of just have him be well, this looming press he like shows her the bag of bones immediately yeah, when yeah. instead in the book it's like oh he's just there one night he's like maybe a little bit closer the next night then he shows her the bag like he needs to be this more of this building presence yeah. instead of like oh think, my god like, I think there are a couple parts though looking back as we're discussing it where 
he is around, but we don't see him. Like when the dog goes out of the hallway and kind of stops. Oh, maybe. And then you hear the rustling outside. I think that that was supposed to, now looking back, that he was out there or he was hanging around the house. Well, but yeah. we he, obviously, him, he obviously took Gerald's. Um, we see all of him the too. first time she sees him yeah. immediately. Yeah. Like I would have liked there to be like, a, is there someone in the corner? Like there's like a shadow. It looks kind of like a man. And then the next time it's like, okay, that's definitely something. Is she hallucinating or what? That's what you're saying there. I just want more time. <laughs> More time. Yeah. But, you know, Netflix is probably like, listen, we'll give you all the money in the world, Mike, but make this uh, make this 100 minutes. Make sure you get that 10-minute epilogue. <laughs> oh Don't forget it. Yeah. I I guess we have to talk about the ties to other Sting, Stephen oh, King yeah. stories also. There's a, fun, there's a like, little I mean, bit of like there's the, the beam Cujo bit, reference. You know? Oh, there's the Cujo bit, and then there's the beam reference. The beam thing was ridiculous. Yeah. But at the same time... It, but at the same time, it, if you're a casual <laughs> watcher of Stephen King... It's kind of it's a nice probably, little... It's, it's just you think that she's losing it, and now he's just doing gibberish at this point. But for us, like, oh, it's <laughs> interesting. There you go. They're, tower, just yeah. throwing you a, it's they're funny. just throwing you a bone. But... The big one. The big one right. is the Dolores... They, they alluded to the whole Dolores Claiborne well... Um, I won't get into the, what's going on that well for Dolores Claiborne, but they definitely talk about there's a monologue about Dolores Claiborne yeah. in that in the movie, which makes me wonder if Flanagan's going to tackle that. And I would be fine with it. Yeah, I, I actually, um, especially if you have an editor that's I not love him. that book. Well, if it also ends with Dolores shaming somebody at the very end, yeah, no, but um, Dolores Claiborne's actually a really good book. I, I'm excited to read it. So you've really read good. Dolores Claiborne, but you haven't read Ger- Gerald's Game. No, yeah, oh. people don't even know about Gerald's Game. Yeah, that's <laughs> it's true. not like it's you know it's just. It's one of the easiest first editions to find, also, which is interesting. You find I, I found one. I always find it. Yeah. It's no so crazy. It. Um, I mean, I feel like that period, like that Rose Matter and um, something else in that era, I just somehow skipped out on. I think I also read Insomnia around that time, which is extremely long, as we've pointed out several times. Not that good. Well, that's going to um, be a VR experience for no reason uh, coming what? up soon. Yeah. yeah, it's a virtual reality thing. Again, Weird. we'll see if that ends up happening. Um, what I was talking about earlier is the whole... The sexual assault thing with her dad. Mm-hmm. I was so glad they didn't have him rape her yeah. or do something that was like, I don't know, quote unquote, worse. Or like, it would have been like yeah. flash cuts of him like grabbing yeah. her and like take um, your clothes off and you know. I I was just like really was happy with the fact that they stuck to exactly what happens in the book and how they say you know there there is no. Uh, competition here. Like this is a terrible thing that happened. This yes. is something that screws you up for life and. It's trauma, and he's manipulative and awful. Um, and I think they do a good a good job with Gerald too. Like I think mm. there is a little bit of the whole like if your husband enjoys bondage, he's secretly a misogynist rapist, which is <laughs> not the best take. But they do a good job of establishing no, no, he's a terrible man, and uh, yeah, and just when you think he's just like feeling some remorse, then it's like nope, yeah. I really am an asshole. Also though, so yeah, we talked about Bruce Greenwood, but again, Henry Thomas is really good in this. I mean, you know, you've got the whole Elliot stigma your entire life, but he um, creeped me out for all the, unfortunately, like, realistic reasons. Uh, oh, as, the scene in, in the um, room where he makes it seem like it's her decision to keep it a secret is so good. He's excellent in that in scene. In the worst way. It's funny because I think um, it sounds like Flanagan's kind of building up his own personal ensemble because um, the I, can't, I cannot, I can never remember, <laughs> what is her name? Jesse. Jesse. God, I can never remember her name. Because I guess Henry Thompson is really the only person that says it throughout the whole thing. But Jesse's mother um, in the flashback is Flanagan's wife. Oh. And she was in Hush. She's oh, the woman in the Hush. cabin in Hush. Henry Thomas was in Ouija, Origin of Evil. Um, Randall's, which, Randall's favorite, favorite film of, of, of 2016. We can't, maybe of all time. And um, a couple of those, I think Henry Thomas is also going to be in the Haunting of Hill House adaptation. Oh, so yeah. looking forward to that. 
That'd be well, pretty cool. I, you know, it's interesting because uh, as a kid, Henry Thomas was kind of ruined for me when he starred in Indictment, the McMartin trial. Uh, oh. Which he played uh, like, one of the, it, um, the 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 daycare people. Yeah, That's all. we won't get into too much dark territory. It's a pretty there. dark. God, it's a really dark movie. But um, the only dark territory I enjoy is Under Siege Two. <laughs> yeah. Good God. <laughs> um, but uh, so seeing him in this is just continuing my uh, wonderful uh, uh, transformation. Growing of, up uh, with Henry Thomas. Yeah, <laughs> God. Because as a kid, I used to think he was like the coolest kid ever because of E.T. Cloak and Dagger. Well, well, he's you know. a really good actor. He is a really yes. good actor. <laughs> Very good actor. You know, it would be it would be different if he was in like a ton of movies, but he's in right. like, I could name like maybe, oh yeah, Gangs in New York he was in. And then... Um, Legend of the Fall. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen Legends of the Fall actually though. Listen, I'm not afraid to admit it. <laughs> Here we go. You love this movie? I, I'm a legend head. You're a legend. A head. legend I, I buy into the legend. I buy into the fall. Great movie. Yeah. Well, bad, also in Fire bad in the trailers. Sky. Bad trailers. He's in Fire in the Sky, too. He was also in Psycho Michael 4. Oh, yeah. Young Norman Bates. Oh, God. Mick, Mick Garris film. Psycho 4. Wow. The I didn't beginning. know that existed. Oh, yes. Um, what does. did you guys think of? I felt like when it was Bruce Greenwood just talking to Jess shackled to the bed. Those were my favorite bits yeah. of yeah. dialogue. Again, yeah. that when, there was a... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead but when he talks to... Uh, empowered Jess I thought it got very like morality play in a way that I did I wasn't digging as much a little bit but just I, like shoulder angel shoulder devil in a oh, way it, that, it oh definitely yeah. was doing that it was yeah. definitely showing like now she's becoming a little more powerful and he's kind of starting to dwindle away but I think that the offsetting performances between uh, Jesse being essentially hand- well she's handcuffed to the bed and being just defeated and tired and then the strong contrast was something that I thought Kojina really pulled off really well. And considering the fact that she had to act off of nobody in those scenes sure. was also really impressive. A lot of stuff was like, was very Jonathan Demi style mm-hmm. directly to the camera too, which I thought was a really cool trick that he kept doing the entire time. I like, uh, how little things you just kind of knew were going to, you know, come back as callbacks, like her bookmark. Um, yeah. And the, mm-hmm. you know, the thing I did not realize there was going to be a straw though. Like when I saw the tag. let's yeah. talk about yeah. that yeah, water tag. sequence. Yeah. Both wire sequences were fucking awesome too. Yeah. The, the, you want to talk about intensity in the movie? Just like, and Mel, you kept teasing this too about about the, the importance of water. And so watching, I thought, oh, here we go. And then it was the whole sequence was well shot. I kept well done. Wondering, I kept trying to see if yeah. I could get the phone with my legs uh, when yeah. I was watching the movie. I was like, she did like, not drive very yeah. for very long to get no. that phone. <laughs> right? I was like, uh, I don't know how you, what you're going to do with it because you keep for like I keep forgetting that like you well, know she's, 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 she's got it, but it's like it's not going to be. You still can't reach down and really do anything. With yeah. It at that point, you know, which is kind of use your feet. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's true. I think that bed frame, by the way, was I did some. There's some uh, Easter eggs in there. Hmm. Uh, the the uh, the lead in Hush is a novelist, and her book. Is on is in the Gerald's uh, oh. house. Oh, interesting! And I believe the bed frame is the frame that holds up the mirror. In the oh, office. that's funny. That's pretty cool. cool. That's pretty funny. We well, didn't mention cool. the Cujo reference. Oh, he's um, like, hey, he's like, old Cujo out there, whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, that's, that's, dog, that's, I, that's, that's we're going fine. back to uh, animal uh, trivia here. That dog would have eaten that dude's face way earlier. Oh, <laughs> so right. Think so? Yeah, that's, that's what they do. When you die at home, yeah. you, you guys know this. Like, oh, yeah. When you die at home, your dog licks your face to try and revive you and is wondering what's happening, and it's kind of like, that's just what it does. But then as it gets hungrier and hungrier, your face flesh is the easiest type of flesh to get off of you. And You're like, right, no, because it's like the X-Files That's why dogs episode. eat their owner's faces when they die at home. Oh, my fucking God. Remember Clyde Bruckman's last yeah. repose? That happens to the next-door neighbor. Remember the little dog eats oh, the neighbor? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, God. 
Fun, great, fun, fun, great episode. Mel's got information about chopping off dogs' heads in Cujo. That's just bringing us to eating I, eating people's faces in Gerald's game. My job is like actually really nice, and very it's few like, bad yeah, things happen there. There are no bone saws required. Um, for I mean, the most there are, part. but I don't do that stuff. <laughs> so I'm reading Cujo um, this week. I can't do could it. You the imagine? sound going back to the sound design. Mm. Hearing the dog eat Gerald was pretty. Oh, yeah, absolutely, pretty mm. brutal. That whole sequence. I love how all, awesome. all that most well for the most part you can't see what's happening. Yeah, either. it's all yeah. sound. Mm-hmm. It's all. Ugh, yeah, the limitations uh, for Jesse are pretty well outlined early on. Well, mm-hmm. I, I did get an understanding of her her surroundings, of what she can can't do. Yeah, um, kind of wish you know. I'm a huge sucker for survival mm-hmm. stories, which is why I think I love this movie. You know, for the most part. But yeah, like you mentioned earlier, I do wish we saw a little bit more of the test, the test that she. You know, I feel like there are a lot of like, you know. Part of me really thinks that she she got that 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 shopping tag straw thing pretty fast. Yeah, know? no, I totally really agree. fast. Like like oh, I could use it I for this. I think she's like, only there for like two days. Yeah, I think she the, book the book is a little longer. She's yeah. she's yeah. really hurting by the time she gets out and like oof. Yeah, because I think of like 127 hours, mm. which I think is the best movie for that that type of thing in yeah. terms of like being trapped and having to like really be in the mind of someone. Um, and you also have Dan- Danny Boyle, who's one of the greatest filmmakers of all time. So I can't, you know, it's not really, it's kind of apples and oranges. Flanagan, you're going to get there one Love day. Love Flanagan. But yeah, Boyle's just, you know, he's, an, he's one of the greatest filmmakers. I, to come I out call of him England. an auteur. He's an auteur. It's absolutely an auteur. Not even joking. But yeah. that, what that film does really well is there's so much time before he actually executes mm-hmm. some of the things he has to do. Mm. Whereas, and I think that's really important when you're dealing in survival films. And even a movie like Alive, you know, they don't just immediately go... Well, we're fucked. I'm going to eat you. Uh, no, like they go through a process of elimination. And yeah. I think that's, I wish we saw just a little bit more of that. Um, having said that, I do think that the, f- the film does a really good job of just showing the environment. Like it's almost like a video game. You just know what she can and can't do. Yeah. And that was cool to me um, and made it for a very fun and vivid watch. Um, but yeah, I, I, it was interesting though, because I never really felt like too, like, stressed or scared because um the the her her i I kept like jokingly referring to them as her pals (laughs) like i told uh kayla again my brother's fiance uh that um i was like well i kind of want them around more (laughs) like i don't like when they're not here because then it's like it's really kind of scary like that's what i want you know yeah right and even when they're not around then she's asleep and dreaming yeah just something's always happening yeah like, if they're around, I, I, I feel like at least she has someone to talk to. <laughs> they're not real, but still. Like, I think this is, as, in terms of, like, an adaptation, yeah. like, this is, that would be, like, dream dream scenario. Because I just feel like yeah. today's audience is just not going to be willing to put up with a woman handcuffed to a bed for more than, like, 30 seconds oh, at a time without, without visions popping up, unfortunately. It's, I, I always think you about know? that scene, and um, I always think of Halloween. And a lot of the cut scenes that were filmed for during Halloween 2 and they re-edited them for the TV version. Yeah. And there's that scene where Dr. Loomis is waiting for the board. And it's just literally silence as he's sitting there in this room. And they just lay the setting down. It's like maybe 10, 15 seconds of him just sitting there waiting for the doctors to come in. Yeah. And I always think about how that is so indicative of like 70 style filmmaking and how nowadays it would just be like immediately discussion, literally they, they like three lines. They, they, they're walking yeah. out. Which is actually what happens in the Which actual just, movie. Yeah, it's actually out. funny. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I can't. Take it, <laughs> but I, I do wish. Talk. Yeah, that's why I wish there was a little bit more patience there. But yeah, overall, I mean, honestly, like they're. But well, let's talk about. I do want to talk about 
when she cuts her hand. Oh, yeah. oh the degloving. Oh, God. oh Christ! That was a medical term. I know. I'm wondering if that's what really does happen to the skin if oh. you're doing that. Yes, though. that's real. Really? It's oh, a degloving. Wow. That yeah. was so. I mean, my reaction. So I, good. I, so real. Yeah. Honestly, oh. not just like 127 hours. Yeah. Have I felt like that stuff is self maiming uh-huh. and knowing. Not even deep down that I just would have died on that bed. There's no you, way you I would have done that. For sure, 100%. No question about it. Hundo percent no Justin would have died. No it's in, way. It is interesting. Unless, unless my hands were totally numb. But even then, I have to look at it. No, couldn't do it. See, I, that's my, my whole thing was, why didn't you just break the thumbs, like, the entire time? Like, I think they talked know. about that, but I think it still would have been too, it was still too tight even to get through with that broken thumb. Mm. They, they alluded to it a little earlier okay, when, he's, okay. when he's teasing her. What do you mean, like... Because usually that that's, that's like a trick. Like, that's like a lot There's of tricks. It depends. But he was saying how tight it was. Because he, he tries to do it. That's how people escape in jail. Like, but they'll just bang their maiming, thumb and then break it. Um, uh, I, I thought that all was, all was going to happen was that she was going to have some blood. Yeah. And it was going to make it slick. No, 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 no. So it just kept the degloving, whatever the metal. Oh, God. It really looked, looked great. So it the, the, the thing that she wears at the end, I wonder if that's like a issue. Because I kept wondering, like, well, you, I guess her, all her tendons are all fucked up then probably, right? From I'm assuming the just the hand damage. Really like a skin graft and yeah. who yeah. knows how long it had been when you see her with the black thing on. But, yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, yeah, so there's... Crazy spoilers we just mentioned for for Gerald's. How would you so. the ending that you wanted was that sunset right or the eclipse? The eclipse uh, of the younger self. Yeah, that would, that would that's how I. Yeah. Honestly, if it was the eclipse and then like a brief where she ended up, just done better, and then you go back to that eclipse at the end again with her sitting next to her younger self. That's all the symbolism I need. As, as long to, like, as you her know he's acceptance. real, because that's the scariest part. Well, it's thinking the thing, about like, how oh, he's real and he was honestly, really there. If I, I, I think that line, this. I think that line I think shows me, that there was somebody there enough. That was it for me. I think what looking, line? the line was like the wedding the, the, ring. The, 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 yeah, the detectives couldn't find yeah. their wedding ring. I and think again, that's enough. I didn't like, mind. Honestly, as long as that convinces you, that's fine. I just need I just need people to know he's real. It's so scary. The newspaper reveal again was fine for me. It was it was that. That whole that weird after courthouse everything. sequence. And, her and the way like, it was filmed, it was just like, it just didn't seem real. You're so much smaller than so, I remember. Well, you yeah. find out so much about this guy. Yeah. That it, <laughs> it works. But see, that's why it works in print. Because when you're it's reading yeah, about yes. it, yeah. like, it's different than. No, totally. Whole. And totally. I think that's an example of when, like you said, about three hours ago, Mike, when you said <laughs> yeah. sometimes being too faithful is detrimental. It's yeah. detrimental. So, uh, wow. We have. Uh, we have another treat in store, though, for this episode, don't we? We do. Guess what? We got another interview with the filmmaker. Mike Flanagan. That's right. Our old, uh, lo- our own loser, uh, Randall Colburn, was able to speak mm-hmm. to the maestro himself, the maestro Mike. Yeah, the maestro, <laughs> maestro Mike. Mike Flan- not Mike, not uh, Mike Rothman, but Mike Flanagan. Yeah. And you're going to hear that in just a couple seconds. Gerald? What? Oh. Gerald? Oh. Gerald? <laughs> Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to chat with me today. Um, as she said, my name is Randall. I'm with Consequence of Sound, but um, I'm also the co-host of a Stephen King podcast. And um, I'd love to, you know, ask you some questions, not just about the movie, although I love the movie. I saw it last night, um, and it's so so good. Uh, I'm really excited to just hear you talk a little bit about, you know, your relationship to King and stuff like that. Does that sound cool? Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So, yeah, I'd love to just hear a little bit about 
you know, your own history with Stephen King, like, were you a fan of him growing up? And if so, what were some of your favorite books by him? I, I absolutely was a fan growing up. I, the first book I ever read was It, and I was in fifth grade. Oh, nice. And it completely, I mean, I was not ready for that. Yeah. <laughs> it completely destroyed me. Uh, and I was hooked from, from then on out. So I think by the time I was in high school, I, you know, declared to, to my family that he was my favorite author and the greatest author living. Uh, and I started just collecting all of his books and, and powering through the library. And... Uh, I didn't finish um, catching up uh, on, on, on his backlog, you know, until well into college. And then, yeah. that was when I first read Gerald's name. Yeah. And I've been a constant reader my whole life. And, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a rabid fanboy. Rabid. <laughs> Yeah, my first Stephen King was The Stand, so I find it very interesting how a lot of us are, I've, I've noticed this with other fans too, is we're kind of drawn to the really long books first. It's like we want that challenge right away when we're really young. Yeah. Oh, The Stand is such a, I mean, that's a world. Um, yes, it is. <laughs> damn. That is a, that's an amazing one to start with. Yeah, it really what is. A, what a sprawling story to dive into. Yeah, so you read Gerald's Game in college, you said? And what did you think about it when you first read yeah. it? I thought it was astonishing, and, and by then I'd, I'd been through most of his his library, and so it was unlike any of the other books that I'd read. It was, there was something always really uniquely challenging and visceral about Gerald's game. I put the, the book down, and I kind of exhaled, because I, I think I'd held my breath yeah. <laughs> that book. I, did, I remember you know, the, the scene everybody talks about. Um, with the cup at the end and, and with her hand, I, you know, I, I think I actually had to put the book down halfway through it. Oh, yeah. Like I, I didn't want to keep reading it. Um, it was such a, my heart was racing. It was such a visceral experience. Um, so I put it down and and I thought, this is one of my favorite, this has got to be like up there for my favorite King stories. What a, what an, an amazing and unique tale. What an incredible character that I don't like know better than any other character I've ever read. And it's unfilmable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is my second thought. It was like this is this will never be a movie. Um, yeah. For, yeah. For the next almost two decades, it, it would just turn over in my head, and I was like, okay, well, if it was a movie, what would it look like, and how would you approach the material? And I actually obsessed over it for years. Yeah. Uh, and before they let me make movies, I would carry a copy of Gerald's Game around with my dad. But when I had general meetings, trying to be a writer, people would say, "What you know." What is your dream project? I'd say, Gerald's Game is my dream project. I love the book. And if they knew the book, they'd laugh and go, like, that's not filmable. Sure, if, yeah. If they didn't know the book, I'd pitch it and they'd say, well, that's not a movie. Yeah. And um, it, it went on that way for half my life. <laughs> and, um, and then all of a sudden, you know, uh, a series of stars aligned at once and, you know, we, we were able to... to to launch into this production and it felt completely surreal. It was like, I've been seeing this movie in my head, you know, for almost 20 years. And now we get to try to rip it out of there and put it up on the screen. Yeah. Um, and I had no idea how it would be received. It was like, this, this could go one of two ways. This is either going to be great or this is going to be utterly unwatchable. Right. So yeah. how, what was yeah. the kind of early process for you? Like, I mean, when you're thinking about how to stream, both streamline that story, but also um, 
you know, figure out the workarounds with the idea, you know, like animate the world that exists within her head. I mean, what were some of the early conversations that you had with your co-writer when you set about, you know, adapting uh, and, you know, preparing for this production? Well, we, we would read the book, you know, over and over again. Yeah. And it got to the point that I would highlight specific lines that were just in the prose. And I was like, this, someone has to say this. Yeah. <laughs> someone, the only way to get this idea into the movie is that someone has to say it out loud. And that was kind of the big question mark, was who this, it was, it was all, you know, ultimately going to be a movie about dialogue. And I was like, how do we frame that dialogue in such a way that it's going to feel cinematic and, and it's going to carry people's interest. Yeah. Um, and the big the breakdown on that was, you know, why does Gerald have to disappear from the story yeah. after 10 minutes? Um, and once that was unlocked, I was like, okay, this is a movie about a marriage. Then I want to hear, I want to hear from the married couple. Yeah. And if they're the only other people in the room with her, you know, that just set up this triangle. It's as classic as a devil and an angel on your shoulder. Um, and it just seems so simple and clear. It's like, yes, we can get all of the ideas, um, all of the discouraging ideas, all of the encouraging ideas, we can get all of it out and into the picture as long as we can kind of turn this movie into a conversation between three people, which is right. basically, you know, ultimately the conversation she's been having with herself. Right. Um, and so then it just became about, you know, what, what words... What specific moments from the book did we want them to talk about, and how many could fit into the movie before you know people would, would just revolt and say, "No, you, you know something physical has to happen now." Like, yeah, that was that was always the balance. Yeah, and so I guess what I I really dug about that approach was you really you really made it consistently clear that even with these conversations happening, just how much they were ensconced in Jesse's head. Because what I loved was, uh, you know, Gerald talked in a way where you could tell that all of her deepest fears about him, he was spewing them out. Like there was nothing ghost-like about him. He very much existed as sort of, you know, a figment of her imagination that was, uh, you know, very much uh, yanking out all the dark things in her head. Like, was that, was that something you were conscious of as you were writing? Oh, yeah. Um, there was a moment when I would, Bruce Greenwood and I talked about this with Carla when we were first getting into it, that, you know, he plays Gerald for a certain amount of time, but after that he plays Jesse. Yes, exactly. That's and, Yeah, that's a great way to put it. And, yeah, and, and that was really kind of exciting, where he's like, I'm playing your character. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm meant to perform this the way, in your head, you would expect him uh, to be saying this, so he would say to her before we do scenes, you know, how how are you feeling? How anxious are you? How discouraged are you? Yeah. You know, how how is the Gerald in your head going to best serve the needs of this, whether it's to discourage you from a course of action or to point you in the right direction in this reverse psychology way? You know, they have a very detailed kind of rhythm together of being aware that they were actually playing the same character, and that was just fascinating. Yeah. Um, that was just a real treat, which is why there are kind of, there, there are maybe a half dozen very subtly different Geralds in the movie. Yeah. And yeah. they were built, you know, very, very carefully to make sure that they were all coming from Jesse. And that way we could avoid the mustache twirling, exactly. you know, kind of obvious read and just be like, let's, let's take a moment and 
think really about how how Jesse would deliver this, mm-hmm. and and then it then it opened it all up. Yeah, totally. And so I and I'd also love to just hear a little bit about you know, creating that physical world. I mean, one of the things that I was really struck by as I was watching it was your use of lighting. I mean, both between the use of uh, Moonlight, uh, you know, when she witnesses the uh, Moonlight Man emerging later, you know, about halfway through the movie, but then also the use of color when uh, with the eclipse and everything. How, was that a vision that you had early on, like this image of, um, you know, the, the colors and the dreamlike quality that emerges from them? Or was this something you were kind of discovering when you were kind of heading into production? No, it's, it, it was all kind of how I saw it when I read it. And yeah. Then, then you filter that through the you know, 19 years uh, that that went by afterward. And so every memory I had of kind of the images that kind of popped into my head when I was reading it were all tainted by this very removed, you know, kind of long stance of time. Um, and so we went into it saying, okay, well, the light in the room, we didn't want any practical lights on. We just wanted to use the sun and the moon. Um, and just keep those constantly revolving kind of around everybody. Um, but the eclipse in particular, you know, that was for me kind of a hybrid of the way I remembered the scenes from reading them the first time and from a certain amount of love I have for the Dolores Clifford presentation. And that was kind of, I'd seen that movie before I read this book and when I was reading it, it was like, yeah, I, I saw the fiery red sky and I saw the boats on the water and, you know, that, that kind of strange separation that seemed to happen between uh, the characters and the environment around them as as the color became, you know, first like twilight, but then something kind of uniquely its own. And, and so, yeah, we always intended that to be very expressionistic. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So you really lean into that. Um kind of the Eclipse storyline and how it overlaps with Dolores Claiborne. I think that was something that, you know, everyone involved with uh, our podcast, we're all, you know, very deep fans and we know, we love hearing the references and the building of the world. So yeah, you really leaned into sort of the, um, uh, the vision that uh, Jesse has of Dolores Claiborne and, you know, people who haven't read uh, the books might, you know, not understand that reference. So why the decision to include it? What does it mean to you personally? Well, I've always come to love those moments as a constant reader you have this this moment of delight when you make a connection between one of the books and another yeah and it's like this sense of discovery and that you're part you are part of this kind of almost secret invisible web that connects all of this you know this incredible universe together that maybe not everybody is aware of yeah and my sense with kind of all of the books is like yep this is this is a little corner of that king universe, and when it's all taken together in context, it, it, it all enhances itself, you know? Yeah. And for this, I was like, I, I want to take excellent care of my little corner of the king universe, but I, I really so desperately want to kind of, you know, fire off little flares into, into the, other, uh, the other areas of that universe that are already connected to this story. Yeah. And there were a couple that I tried to squeeze in just as a, as a geeky fan. Oh, sure. But the Dolores one, yeah. you know, when, it, when, it, when it came by in the book, it was just like, I, how do I not do that? Like, I have, I have to do that. Right. Um, and we changed it a, a little bit because I didn't want to knock people who were unfamiliar with the connection completely mm-hmm. out of the moment, which is the other risk you, you always run. Um, but those two stories, to me, are two sides of a coin. Right. And it didn't. It didn't feel right to, you know, I couldn't adequately tell this story without 
Yeah, and I feel like what I really loved about you using that was it did, you know, serve its purpose within the story as well in that, you know, it's Jesse really needed to feel some kind of connection at that moment and to not feel so alone in that moment. And the way that you really framed it was this sense of, I don't know who this woman is, but we share something together. And I think that's how that moment really resonate, really resonated for me, at least when I was watching the movie. Yeah. And that's exactly what it's for. It's, it's that thematically in both stories they're about women who think they're alone in a very traumatic situation for most of their lives. Yeah. You know, who, whose connection to other women is kind of revealed very gradually in both, in both of those novels. Yeah. And that, that momentary sense of understanding and not being alone, it's, I think it's pretty critical. Um, and they both, both of those characters deserve, deserve that kind of comfort, even if it is in a fleeting dreamlike moment. Right. Another thing I was struck by was just the chemistry that existed between um, Carla and Bruce. And I'm curious sort of how, what was the casting process like for that? I think I read that Stephen uh, recommended Bruce Greenwood. Am I correct in that? That, that, that is correct. Okay, cool. Uh, Steve recommended him because they had worked on uh, Ghost Brothers of Darkland County together. Right. And, um, and so he said, I think, you know, Bruce would be marvelous for this. And Bruce was already on my short list. Oh, nice. I was a big fan of his from The Sweet After. So it was like, perfect, yes, let's make that happen immediately. Yeah. And he was cast first. And then Jesse was much harder to find. Sure. Um, and there was always a sense that, you know, we needed, we needed a fearless actress, and the success of the movie would live and die on her. That if, we, if we messed that up, we were all doomed. <laughs> it, it was all going to be on her shoulders. And so Carla wasn't available when we first started looking for candidates and then became available um, in a stroke of amazing good fortune for us. Uh, but she and I just got on the phone as I did with you know, all of the candidates that, that we were looking at. And Carla and I talked, I think, for 90 minutes on the phone while I was out. I was out in the woods scouting, uh, scouting her driving escape group for the end of the movie. Oh, nice. I was out there in the middle of the woods by myself on the phone with Carla. And I could tell very, you know, very shortly into our, our conversation, I could tell that she not only understood the character, um, but understood and was appropriately excited and afraid of just how much of this was going to be resting square on her shoulders, of, of the challenge of it. And um, I, I remember hanging up and being like, that's, that's her. You know? Yeah. I, I, and having seen what she did with it and what they did together, because I think, you know, the whole movie is a dance between her and Bruce, and it's a beautiful dance to watch. It was, it was beautiful to watch on set. Um, I can't imagine anyone else playing those parts. I, yeah. I think they just inhabited and owned them. And uh, it, one of the most exciting and rewarding moments of my career is just being able to sit back and monitor and watch them perform this movie. Um, I, was, I was awestruck daily just at, at what they were doing. Yeah, that um, that long monologue that Bruce had, uh, where he's sort of whispering, speaking like you know, like a lover does in bed, just about the process of people finding her body, and finding and then discovering what's missing, was to me uh, just an astounding moment of stillness and sort of calm in a movie that you know really sort of is embroiled in such like a, a tumultuous and uh, grotesque sort of situation and i guess i just really appreciated that there was a moment like that and tell me um 
Is that is that I haven't read the book in several years. Is that a was that section pulled from the book? Almost verbatim. Oh wow. From the book. Yeah. Yeah, it's um and it's just a it's just a first person, you know, segment of it where she's contemplating that that's how it'll happen. Yeah. Uh, but we just lifted the I think it's four pages. Wow. We just lifted it and put it in Gerald's mouth. And I had initially designed that sequence. We covered it. I mean, I think we had fifteen or sixteen angles that were meant to cover that scene. And the closer we got to shooting it, Bruce and I would talk about it. And I would listen to him run it because he, you know, is one of the most prepared actors I I worked with. He knew that back and forth. And I would listen to him read this incredible <laughs> this incredible monologue. Yeah. And kind of the day before we got there, we were both like, you know, this is risky, but what if we threw out the coverage and we just designed this as a one-er? Yeah. And, um, it, it, that, that, to me, was like one of the most striking moments that we never pulled from him. And he had such command over that. And it was so sad and also so menacing at the same time. It was, it was to me, a real standout in a movie that has a lot of really big moments. To, so to have such a quiet moment in there is one of the things I think really makes this movie stand out. So. Uh, he, I, think, I think you're right. He, he just slaughtered that. Yeah. Think, um, and I think you're looking at, if I remember right, it was like a second take. I think we did one, and you know the camera had to move all the way in over the bed and then rotate 90 degrees um, as he laid down. And I think the camera bumped. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> it's above the water. You know, <laughs> the yeah. camera operation, we had to work out all the kinks. Bruce was set and we did it again. I think we'll just, you know, it was the second day. Yeah. Um, so, um, <laughs> so we were at a talk back for, uh, 1922, the other, um, Netflix Stephen King adaptation that's coming out. And, uh, the filmmakers were, were discussing this idea of embracing King's idiosyncrasies and that, and they kind of remarked that, uh, we have three basically pretty great Stephen King adaptations that are out right now, which is awesome. And, they're all, and then kind of the filmmakers were saying that the reason they're all working is because they're sort of allowing themselves to be weird and to embrace King's idiosyncrasies. And instead of, you know, trying to, uh, you know, maybe box his narratives into a, a Hollywood template. So do you think that idea of like embracing the idiosyncrasies and the weirdness is kind of a, a key element of creating a solid Stephen King adaptation? Absolutely. And, and I think the minute you start second guessing that, that's when the adaptations can stray off the rails into something that, you know, especially when it's in the interest of, well, we think it'll be more appealing or more commercial to kind of get away from his more unique voice. Yeah. That's when they lose their way. And, you know, the experience of reading him, it's his voice in your head and he's a distinct voice. If, if, if you try to force him and his structure and his characters into a mold that they weren't intended for. It's not It's not a good fit. Right. And even that sense of just the awkward fit and effort of it is enough to knock people out of adaptations. And sometimes, in my opinion, it spirals so out of control yeah. that you lose sight of what even made the story good in the first place. You know? Right. Um, you know, he's idiosyncratic for sure, but he's, he's a confident storyteller. Yeah. And... One of the things that, you know, I knew going into this, um, I said, you know, we're going to do this as faithful to the book as possible, um, and that means half of my audience is going to hate my ending. <laughs> yeah. Um, because if I do it right, you know, if I do it, if I really honor him, 
half of the readers hated the ending of the book. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to have the same ratio. Um, so, you know, there was this sense of like, look, I can flinch away from that and be like, oh, well, I don't want to bring in the same kind of, you know, response, that polarized response that some other material just kind of naturally generates, and instead try to presume that I can fix something for him. Because I love the ending. I thought the ending in the book was perfect. Sure, yeah. But I know a lot of people felt differently, you know? And so for me, it was like, look, I, I'm going to lean so far into that that, you know, I'm doing Stephen King's Gerald's game, and I'm doing the best way I can. My only goal is to recreate the experience that I had reading it, which was such a wonderful experience for me. Yeah. Um, it's not my goal to change it or to make it more or less palatable for certain people. If I can recreate the way I felt when I put that book down, great. And if someone else felt differently when they put it down, odds are they're going to feel differently when they stop my movie. Yeah. You know? Like, it's... it's and to me, it was like, that's, that's the goal. That's how I know, <laughs> you know, you've, you've done it right when the same people that complain about the idiosyncrasies of King complain about it with your, your film, and the same people that love the idiosyncrasies of King, you know, love what you did with the movie. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That's kind of the only way to, to approach it. Um, otherwise, it's just, you're, you're stepping into a world of madness. Yeah. <laughs> you try to rewrite them. Um, so as we're as we're wrapping up here, um, I'd love to just uh, hear a little bit about you have such you clearly have such a strong reverence for King, which I love. So you know, are there any other stories that are calling your name from an adaptation standpoint? Are there other King stories that you really have a yearning to tell? So many, yeah, um, so 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 many. Uh, the the big ones. I mean, there's always the big ones. Like who doesn't want to take a shot at the stand? Or, Sure. <laughs> Who doesn't want to want to get into that kind of incredible world? I, the ones that I would love to look at, and I and I think Andy said the same thing well, last week after it came out. He said he really wanted Pet Cemetery. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yep. <laughs> yeah, it's just like yes, Pet Cemetery is such an astonishing book. It's one of the most you know fearsome and fearless books uh, out there. It scared me probably more than any of his other uh, books, especially after I had children. Yeah. Um, that would be a blast. I know, you know, they've been flirting with the idea of a remake. I've read a few of the adaptations over the last couple of years, some of the scripts they've been floating. I mean, they're, they're taking a different way than I would, so I've, I've kind of stayed away from that one. But Sure. Um, the other ones I would love to do, you know, I, I've, I have a, a huge place in my heart for Lisey's story. Oh, yeah. Um, I adore that book. And I think that would be just as challenging as this one in a lot of ways. Yeah. But what a beautiful look at a marriage. Um, and then I, I've been really, you know, I, I've wanted, since it was published, I, I've wanted a, a crack Doctor Sleep. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that could be a blast. And if you can so you're... kind of walk through that without stepping to, you know, without being completely, you know, destroyed by it. Kubrick's shadow. <laughs> real, real good time. Sure. Yeah. So, um, and but you're working on uh, the haunting of Hill House now, correct? Correct. And so, did uh, did you present that project to Netflix, or did they approach you about that? Uh, Amblin uh, Television actually approached me about it. Oh, okay, gotcha. Uh, and he said, you know, "Are you familiar with the book?" And I said, "That's one of my favorite books." And interestingly, I only discovered it because it was one of King's favorite books. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one of the books that inspired him 
and said, hey, we have the Haunted Hill House, you know, would you come up with, with a take for television? And my, my first response was like, I, I don't know how to adapt this for television. Yeah. You know, there's, there's just barely enough material for a feature film in the book. And I said, oh yeah, we'd have to kind of do something different that remains true to the spirit of, of Shirley's, you know, original intention. And I said, well, that's kind of exciting. Um, so I went away and thought about it for a while. I came up with an idea uh, for how I thought it could be a series. And then we took it to Netflix together to pitch with, uh, along with Paramount TV. And, Great. And they, they liked it. So yeah. <laughs> I'm actually... So it's sort of a, just a little tease to, as kind of a little tease to leave our readers with as we wrap up here. Um, is there any sort of, uh, um, you know, teases or hints that you can give us about what we might be able to expect from The Haunting of Hill House? I can say, um, I think it's the scariest thing I've ever gotten to work on. Nice. And, uh, and in a way that fans of Robert Weiss's brilliant adaptation in 63 will appreciate, you know, that. The lessons of that movie and about activating a viewer's imagination as opposed to leaning on, on explicit uh, special effects, which is the lesson of the Beyond the Bond adaptation, yeah. <laughs> uh, is something that is very much in our minds. Um, I can't talk about plot, but sure. it's, um, it's probably the most complex uh, story that I've gotten to be a part of, and I'm having the time of my life so far that's amazing. Well, great. Well, thanks so much, Mike, for chatting with us. We really appreciate it. And I just want to say again, I think uh, your your vision of Gerald's game turned out really beautiful. It's really effective. It's effective on multiple levels. And um, and man, that uh, that fi- that climactic uh, practical effects that you were using, I was screaming in my apartment last night. So good job. <laughs> that was good. Oh, I love that. Well, thank you so much. Uh, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. So thanks so much and good luck on everything. And hopefully we'll be able to talk to you again in the future. Absolutely. I'll be here. All right. Bye, Mike. All right. Have a good one. Bye-bye. We do want to once again thank everybody for tuning in. As always, keep spreading the word. Uh, if you have not left us a review yet on iTunes, please, please do so. We're going to have a couple special episodes coming up. One is a mystery even to ourselves. Yeah. Um, <laughs> which we're really excited to find out what we're going to do. What yeah. will happen? And what will happen. But we do have, um, we're definitely going to be doing a episode on the Creep Show films. Mm-hmm. And we're going to hopefully have some special guests uh, talk, talk creep. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> um, in the next book that we will be doing, I guess probably in November at this point, will be... That's right. We're going to start our big trek, the Dark Tower, the Gunslinger. So get those bullets ready. Don't forget to face your father. Until next time, long Long days and and pleasant pleasant nights. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. Consequence Podcast Network.